Hey everybody, my name is Jesse Collings, and I want to tell you all about my show, The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. On The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, we do a thorough analysis on the biggest issues and trends within the pro wrestling industry. We talk a lot about pro wrestling media, we talk a lot about fan culture and wrestling's place within general pop culture, and we talk about the broader influences that are shaping the way we discuss and analyze the pro wrestling industry. We've had some of the brightest minds in the pro wrestling intelligentsia on the show, including WrestleNomics host Brandon Thurston, both Rich Krejci and Joe Lanza from the Flagship Wrestling Podcast, Trevor Dame from the Through the Years Podcast, and a whole lot more. This isn't a show for hot takes. It's not a show recapping the latest episode of television. This is a show focusing on the biggest topics in pro wrestling and doing a deep dive on the real stories behind the surface level analysis you might find elsewhere. The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd really appreciate it if you gave us a try. Thanks. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Uh, 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 uh. Competition starting to get thick, it's the click, so I hope you watch your A-game, A-man, no waves. On the track when we unite and spit, this isn't A-game, better bring your A-game. Competition starting to get thick, it's the click, so I hope you watch your A-game, A-man, no waves. Hey now, welcome to the Mike and JD Show, right here on the Voices of Wrestling Radio Network. I am your host, Mike Gilbert. I hope you guys have a happy Thanksgiving. Uh, I know that I am out here in a beautiful, lovely Honolulu, Hawaii. Um, so this week's show is going to be a little bit different. Last week, JD and I announced that we were not going to be doing our live show and that we would be releasing our WCW Invasion series that we recorded earlier this year, and that is still happening. However... This past Monday night, we recorded an episode of our Patreon show called Overtime um, for our audience, and it was supposed to be a Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame show where we were going to be talking about the uh, the new inductees and you know debating them and talking about who didn't get in and do a preview of next year, that whole thing. And 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 um, and we did do that. Um, Overtime is not really a show about headlines. We do more historical historical topics. Um, deep dives, um, off the wall topics. If there's news about like ancillary organizations like MLW, NWA, and stuff like that, that we just stuff that we couldn't really fit into our regular show, we would talk about it there. Uh, or we'll just do off the wall topics. Like we like to talk about aliens and JFK and all kinds of nonsense. Um, but the JD and I just could not help ourselves. So we had to talk about Bogo Max, also known as MJF. Uh, and the issues surrounding AEW. Uh, so what was supposed to be an episode of Overtime turned into a normal episode of the Mike and JD show. So um, so that was not supposed to be a part of this show. We were just going to be doing the WCW Invasion. But uh, what I did was I pieced together that show along with the full two-part series of our discussion on the WCW Invasion of the WWF for you guys this week. Uh, the first WCW Invasion show was recorded for our old network of Fight Game Media back in April. Um, and then the second was recorded uh, back in August for our current Patreon. Um, both episodes are already, have already been on our Patreon. 
Um, so if you enjoy this premium content and want to support the show, get full episodes of the Mike and JD show early and ad free. So we record it live on YouTube, but if you're just an audio person and you want just the audio, um, as soon as we're done recording, I upload it to Patreon immediately on Thursday night. And then I, and then I send it over to, to Rich and Joe and they typically will up, upload, upload it on Friday at some point. So if you want it early and ad free, um, join, join the Patreon plus full audio and video of our overtime show. A lot of time overtime is recorded live to YouTube uh, for our Patreon. So they get, they get exclusive access to that, uh, brace for impact. So I do brace for impact every single Saturday, uh, sometimes Friday, um, but mostly on Saturdays. And I record that live. Um, we, we do have like a live YouTube video link and then I do get people into the chat and they can, uh, they can toss stuff out at me. Um, and uh, the JD Oliva project, so JD's uh, JD's own personal show that he does. Uh, and then I started a, a daily news show that might not be daily, but um, I did do it uh, three times this week already. So, uh, and it's you know a quick ten to fifteen minute news update. Uh, just if anything breaks, if anything's going on that I find interesting, I'll just uh, grab my phone and talk about it and upload it to the Patreon. Uh, and then also JD has been releasing chapters of his new book, Gaijin, where it's about a American wrestler going over to Japan and he's got issues with the Yakuza and all kinds of run-ins, all kinds of craziness. He, he already released chapter one. And I think this weekend he's releasing chapter two. So he's going to be releasing chapter by chapter until the book becomes available. Uh, and that is for our Patreon audience, plus exclusive articles and much more head to patreon.com slash the Mike and JD show and become a premium subscriber today. Now, I hope you enjoy this episode and we'll see you right here next week on the Voices of Wrestling Radio Network. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> that was so ridiculous. What's up, Patreon subscribers? This is uh, Overtime with Mike and JD. I'm your host, Mike Gilbert. I'm joined as always by JD Oliva. And man, we're also joined by a very special guest, Maximania, apparently. Let me tell you something, brother. I went through the righteous. I went through the Bullet Club gold. Now I'm going to chew up everyone in the AEW roster and spin them out because it's all about me, brother. God, I hate this program. Tell me something, Tofu, Tony. Sorry. <laughs> you know, we got a, we got a, a friend of, we have a group that, and a friend of ours texted me that he's like, hey, with your Photoshop skills, do you think you could do, uh, a Max's Hulk Hogan thing. And we had parent teacher conferences today and between conferences, I'm like, yeah, I think I could do that. So yeah. I, uh, so I, had to, I actually had to recolor his pants. Like those were actually purple. <laughs> so I had to, I had to do some stuff and you know, I'm actually, it's so stupid looking. I'm looking around. I'm like, this is so stupid. <laughs> I'm actually most proud of the Maximania thing. Cause I actually had to refor- refigure that at the Hulkamania one. So, you know, yeah, for about 20 with- minutes. <laughs> with uh, Photoshop, my wife knows how to use Photoshop really well because she's a photographer, mm-hmm. and um, she um, can like recognize print or whatever and delete whatever word is on there and then type over it a new word. Which she tried showing me, but I just I just could not figure it out. You know, that's actually one of the funnest things about my job is I teach kids how to use Photoshop. So I mean, like, worst I tell them, I said, the, if you come out with nothing more than this class, you should be able to make the dankest memes of anyone you know. So that, yeah. always gets, that always gets a, that always gets a reaction from the kids. Yeah. So if you're if you're listening to this and you're not watching the YouTube video right here on the Patreon, oh, yeah. um, JD sure. JD made a Maximania um, logo. So whenever I tweet out the the audio, this is gonna be what I use. I'm gonna use Maximania. This the actually what why we were doing this 
is because we're off this Thursday. We're not going to work on Thanksgiving. So we wanted to record something special for Patreon. So we were just going to do a wrestling observer hall of fame show because the, the, the selectees were out. And then uh, we got to talking and this Maximania joke popped up. I was like, well, we should at least, you know, we'll, we'll get into some AEW stuff. But we, we JD loved this Maximania thing so much. Like, yeah, we just got to start off with just the photo of it. It's so <laughs> fucking great. That's for our buddy who will go nameless as to not get him in trouble. <laughs> Would appre- yeah. We'll appreciate the meme. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, Tony Khan went and burnt his promotion to the ground this weekend. So, you know, you got to yeah. kind of. You got to kind of cover that. I didn't know it at the time because I went live on um, on our feed. Like I just had it because I was with you guys and I said on the show, I, I was pretty like I talked to our buddy Jeremy Finestone, new Patreon supporter, Jeremy Finestone. Yes. Welcome. Thanks, welcome, Jeremy. And welcome, uh, Brent Randall, too. Thank you, Brent, Brent uh, for, for for joining the club. Really appreciate that. But Jeremy's like, you're pretty hot. And I'm like, yeah, I just I don't know, man. I'm 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 emotional. You know, like when I'm, I'm either really into something or I'm really not into something. and like. I didn't hear the Tony Khan. This is the first time I ever didn't listen to one of their press conferences. The last two have been so superfluous that this yeah. time around, I didn't, even, I didn't even think about it. I'm like, none of, no one, none of them are going to ask the real questions. No one's going to say, so why did you turn down? Like, well, how far along did you get with the CW? What was the details and that? No one's going to ask, hey, man, um, you've had a dramatic shift in your program over the last few months, and it started to affect ratings and and ticket sales how do you feel about like nobody does that and again it's it goes back to that argument that we had online a couple weeks ago where the wrestling media they just want to play volleyball right they don't actually want to they don't actually want to cover wrestling like a real sport you know jim valley asked some real questions and then asked a real stupid one just to make fun of everybody there which i really appreciated his one of to julia hart about the mist right I i thought that was funny i don't know man like I'm not as uptight as I was, which kind of bothers me because I feel like I'm starting to slide into apathy. And when I slide into apathy, then I'm just not going to care anymore. And I feel like a lot of people are going in the same direction when it comes to AEW. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm trying, I was trying to find the the clip, but for some reason it's not on Twitter right now of Tony saying that that was a, what's that? I wonder why. Yeah. So I, maybe all the websites pulled it down, but voices of wrestling, they don't have the audio, but they do have the, the actual quote. He says, uh, this is so, this is from Tony, right? Talking about the continental classic. He said, I think that if people want to see the sports-based presentation in every match, there's 33 matches in the continental classic. So get ready, strap in, uh, strap in, get ready every Wednesday and Saturday, the same people who don't want to see any outside interference. I'm not BSing. I'm dead serious. If you don't want to see any outside interference, if you want to see straight wrestling at its very best in a great field, then put your money where your effing mouth is. Wednesdays and Saturdays, I expect to see you strapped in because we're going to put on the best wrestling tournament with some great matches. He's kind of like, so maybe he didn't mean it this way. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I don't know. I'm not. Okay. Yeah. No, let's not. So it just kind of seems like, yeah, it kind of seems like. He's like blaming the fans for getting mad at his television show. And instead of trying to improve it, he's like, well, here, because you guys are complaining, I'm just going to do this. So, you know, now, now you guys have to come because I'm doing this for you. Right. I'm doing this as a result of all your complaining. If Tony, I think it was Chris Samza and our voices of wrestling slack earlier today said, and this is a great quote. If Tony Khan believed that a G one style tournament could draw on his TV show, he would have done it by now. 
Yeah. So he clearly doesn't see anything else. He's throwing, he thinks he's throwing us a bone. And he goes, I'm, I'll tell you what, no interference, which just means that every fucking match they do now has interference. Everything yeah. they do has some kind of a fuck finish, has some kind of a schmoz. Like every, I'm, <clears throat> they're cutting backstage with the wrestlers watching on the screens. Like it's so WWE'd right now. It's ridiculous. And like, let's be honest, like put point the fingers, like Pat Buck. The creative pro guy who creates, who trains wrestlers with really stupid gimmicks. Mm-hmm. Let us not forget Chris Statlander, the alien. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Honestly. Is- and, and this is, maybe this isn't her fault because she was a young kid when she went there and she did the alien gimmick to get herself on a TV. She, for me, like in my me watching as a fan like she's never come back to from that for me like i just i just like you you know she took off for a while she had that knee surgery she came back and everybody was all all about her i looked at her i was like i'm not interested and that that was maybe like me still holding a a grudge against her for being a nose booping alien but that's still for some reason that's all i see at her because it's shindy stupid shit right and it got over in like in the meme culture era of the indies, when like the early two 2020s, when that stuff was, when the indies were basically strip mined of all the talent and all that was left was the meme guys. Right. Yeah. So she was doing that stuff. And it's just, it's, it's freaking pathetic. Like these are the guys that are in the, vo- that are in the room right now telling them what to do. And like, we've had to, like, we watched Max do his Hulk Hogan. We watched Max do his Steve Austin. Like I jokingly asked about eight, what everybody thought of AEW uncensored. Last week, because it reminded me of Savage and Hogan defeating the Dungeon mm-hmm. of Doom and the Four Horsemen and the Triple Cage. I mean, like, this company is just, it's become Max's vanity project. And it's not a fun show to watch. And he can come to the podium crying and trying to put on his, his little crocodile tears thing so people are nice to him because he doesn't like himself. But in reality, I don't like him. Yeah. Like, I've t- I'm, I don't like him as a creative he could be a really nice guy in person i'm pretty sure he's not but i'm tired of him on my tv screen i and i i'm over it man like and then i actually this is the first time i actually made a meme and i was like i just kind of feel bad because i bet this person's gonna take it like to heart and then i went screw him and i kept going sometimes he you know you you really do need negative feedback sometimes um, yeah you know, when people are mean about it, that's typically not helpful, you know, and no. I, I have ventured over into the, I ventured over into the being mean at times. Uh, and, you know, and, and honestly, that's part of being a podcaster. You want to be entertaining. And sometimes yeah. you say, you know, kind of off the top of your head, like you say, oh, well, I, you know, maybe I really didn't appreciate that. But when you're a podcaster, you're like, oh, that effing sucked. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like You, you got it. You got to kind of go for the jugular sometimes just to be entertaining. What I saw with Max on full gear, the from zero hour and the whole storyline to get him to be the returning conquering hero for the main event. It was WCW like 99, right? To where like, okay, the, the house is still full. We're going, we're doing BOGO tickets. So that's tough. Right. But the house is still full. Ratings aren't in the toilet, right? The ratings are still holding up with the exception of the weekend programming Friday and Friday night and Saturday night programming, but dynamite still holding up strong. Right. But you're we're starting to see like like a chink in the armor right or like the there there's a, a slow leak happening right with their with their with their success and it all kind of centers around this one guy right now it's like max it's like pat you know and and pat buck trained max so naturally pat buck is in a position of power right and and then you got you know jimmy jacobs, jacobs. who is essentially tony's right hand man so he's doing a lot of the stuff that we don't like and then of course all the max stuff that conquers the show 
Um, that guy just has so much power and I don't, I just don't understand it. Like, um, so we, we didn't get to it because we were, we were listening to John and John was so great on the podcast last week. He was awesome. And I didn't really want to ruin that with my bullshit. So I just wanted to let John go, you know, and a lot of people appreciated it. Um, but I, I did have a theory that, you know, this hokey shit that they're doing, the WWE stuff, I think they think it's going to get them into a new TV deal. I think they think that that's what TV executives want. And maybe that's the feedback that they've gotten, right? I mean, what got them into the space to begin with was being the alternative. But now I think for they think that to get to that next level, they got to do Timeless Tony. They got to do Kangaroo Kicks. They got to do like one of the worst like pay-per-view storylines I've ever seen in my life, the which worst. is, you know, like Max, Max getting hurt on the pre-show with a bum leg, goes to the hospital. And then he gets replaced by a guy who just had surgery. Like right there, that's a non-starter. And I'm like, who in the room thought that was a good idea? Whoever that was should be fired. Unfortunately, Tony can't fire him himself. Yeah, but everybody went along with it. Mm -hmm. And and that's the problem, right? Like the emperor has no clothes. Like, oh, no, it has to be Adam. Now, okay, now check this out. If And I was just like thinking of like, okay, what could they have done to actually make this a little bit better? It'd be difficult. But if they put Samoa Joe in the Adam Cole spot, and then by the time they, you know, and then maybe they attack Samoa Joe before the match starts, and then Max comes out for the match, maybe then that's better. But Adam Cole being in the spot never made any sense to begin with. Like the whole thing sucked, but Adam Cole being there just made zero sense. Dave had an interesting theory that a lot the now I, I'm this is me. Dave yeah. thought that a lot of people had a negative view of the show because of the angle, because this the the angle loomed over the show. It wasn't an enticing angle. It was an angle that made a lot of people upset. And I'm one of them. I was yeah. I'll be I'm the first to admit this. I'm I was more concerned with tweeting out bad jokes and frustrating takes than I was paying attention to most of the matches. Right? Because this specter loomed over the show and it really killed my enjoyment. Like yeah. I I and it's a lot of it is the bad acting, like a lot of it is just the nonsensical developments. Like this is a company that's had multiple that one cancels matches all the time yeah. when one guy can't go. Two has interim champions. People bitch about the interim champions all the time. Right? So why couldn't Jay White be the interim champion? He already has a belt. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. because they wanted them, they wanted make to make Max the hero because Max had to stroke himself off and live out his Steve Austin childhood fantasies in front of all of us. Like yeah, and it's just the weirdest thing to me. It's, it, this really feels like a child's wrestling promotion right now. Like Max is doing is booking himself the way like a little kid would book himself, right? That a kid yeah. who grew up on a steady <clears throat> diet of, of 90s WWE television. And then right, we're seeing the bizarre. we're seeing the Booker put his childhood heroes on TV every single week as well, right? And and now I'm not I I like the way he's I've always liked the way he's used Sting. I think the Sting, yeah, Sting usage Sting usage has been great. And I'll be honest, you know, I have not been that impressed with Adam Copeland on on AEW, and I feel like this is one of those hires. But I like that trios match from the paper. I was going to say, you know, good. I actually yeah. think that Copeland has. <laughs> has changed up enough of what he is presentation wise. Like, cause we said on the show that he's going to have to not be edge. Yeah. And I think he slowly started to evolve the character a little bit. I like the entrance. I liked his performance. I think, I think the pro this program with him and, and Christian is working. Like, I think it's been fine. Is he going to be a main event draw? No, but I mean, like they're overpaying for him. 
but I don't think there's so many more problems in this company right now than Adam Copeland. And, and that's why he's so under the radar. He hasn't moved the needle one bit and he didn't no. in WWE either. And I think AEW has found out the hard way they overpaid for him because he's a, you know, it's like a childhood hero. Right. Um, and I, I, I understand it. I don't think it's the smartest move, but Hey, it's, it's not my money. He's a billionaire. Let him look fucking blow his money. That's no big deal. But um, I, I have not been, I'm not like, like, I just don't care about him. <laughs> it's like, like you, if you're telling me Edge is on or Adam Copeland's on the show this week, I just I'm just like okay. And then, but then when I watch him, I was like, oh yeah, he's still pretty good. But like when I he was on the pay per view, I honestly forgot that he had the match on the pay per view. Uh, they opened the show and I was like, oh wow, this is really good. And then I go back to just not caring. It's it's one of the weirdest things. Like I, I don't know how to I don't know how to explain it. I think he's. I think the best way I can describe Adam Copeland is he's been fine. Yeah, he's been yeah, fine. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Of the problems this promotion has, Adam Copeland is far down the list to me. I'll tell you something, though. It seems to be, and like I've heard this, I think Paul Fontaine in the old Fight Game Media Discord said, "W like they're changing their product to appeal to more WWE fans in an effort to grow. And I said, Paul, that is not happening right now. In fact, yeah. the opposite is happening. And then he brought this up because he's the ratings guy. Did you see what Collision drew this past Friday against I SmackDown? Didn't- I saw that it didn't do good, and then I saw that it did worse than Rampage. (laughs) Are you ready? Are you ready for the number? Yeah. Yeah. 180,000 viewers. Jesus. So, let me get this. Let me lay this out for you. You have gone out of your way to make your program more appealing to WWE fans. When you used to make your show different to appeal to other wrestling fans who might be disenfranchised with WWE. Two years ago when this happened, when they met on cable, AEW won against SmackDown. It was close, but AEW won in the demo. SmackDown won in total viewers. You can't call anything but more than a win. Now, now again, they were going to get killed anyway. SmackDown's on, on, on broadcast. They're on cable. But yeah, you're presenting a program that is openly inviting WWE fans to come watch. Well, WWE fans have multiple times this year, this quarter, had told you we would rather watch WWE. So rather than take the data, because Tony's is supposed to be this big data-driven guy, rather than take the data he's presented, he's steering even harder into being more like WWE. Yeah, and and doing it up against SmackDown is pretty stupid because if I want to watch WWE shit... I just watch WWE. That's the problem. That's the problem. And we've been saying this for weeks is that the harder and do they would, we've been bitching about this for weeks and they haven't like, they're like, well, we're giving you this tournament, but bro, you gave me fit. You, you made me pay 50 bucks for a 30 year old episode of raw. Yeah. That's what we watched. They booked a 30 year old episode of raw. I mean, I could have told you what happened. I've seen raw. Right. And it just, it's not working. Now you brought up a great point that I considered. Is this from David Zaz- David Zaslov's a terrible judge of what works. Yeah. This is a guy who's getting eviscerated in the, uh, in the creative community. Right. Cause there's actually a movement. And I don't know if you've heard, there's actually a movement among Hollywood producers to not work with Warner brothers. Yeah, well, because they of the Coyote, the Wiley Coyote movie, and the mm-hmm. what, what, which one was it? Batgirl. 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 They Bat- they they finished the movies and to save money on taxes, they just they're just not going to put them out. 
because mm-hmm. they can yeah. they can file a loss. So, and again, yeah. this is a business. Hollywood is a business where a lot of things you work on never see the light of day. Like the, I think it's like three percent of scripts written will be filmed. Yeah. But it's very different. This is the case, right? And they're telling you, oh, we're just not going to release this weekend. And now they're starting to backtrack and they're trying to sell stuff more. But I mean, now, because they're they're literally, the producers are saying, you know what? We're just not going to work with Warner Brothers with this guy because yeah. like, there's no there's no guarantee that our work... And again, you cre- as a creator, you create things so that they're seen. So this guy, this Zaslov guy, he was really good at booking like Holman Garden TV. Booking. What a wrestling show. <laughs> um <laughs> But I mean, like, as far as like real creative endeavors, his instincts are God fucking awful. So is it possible that he has told Tony, your show needs to be more like WWE and he's a fucking dipshit and Tony's just kind of going along with the flow of things? That's possible. I hadn't considered that before, Mike. Yeah. um, And, you know, people are talking like there's no like media members out there that are saying this. But, you know, it's like uh, Twitter that that Dolph Ziggler is like on AEW's radar. Ronda Rousey was on Ring of Honor this past weekend, and I'm like the last of the dying breed of of still being a Ronda Rousey fan. I think it's just because I loved her MMA fan or fight so much. Mm -hmm. I used to, I used to like, like she was like one of the few people that I would actually spend my own money to to watch. Like if I would go to like pay to like a Buffalo Wild Wings or like a casino to go watch her, or I just buy the pay per view at my house. Like so, she was she was a megastar and just such a big fan of hers. And I just felt like WWE misused her, but AEW fans are crapping all over that lady. And now, now they, they brought her into ring of honor. I don't know that she's coming to AEW. It might've been just like, Hey, she's in California. Wants to work with her friends, that that's, type of deal. That's kind of what Dave said. And he was like, if Tony was going to use her, he wouldn't have just thrown her on ring of honor. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I mean that, that door's open now. Right. So yeah. like R- Rhonda was there. The, the rumors are about Dolph Ziggler. There's still the, you know, there's been rumors that Sheamus's deal with WWE is going to be coming up and uh, he's going to be a high priced veteran that you're not going to get a return on investment. So I think WWE might cut him loose a la Roy McDonald from the UFC. <laughs> so and, uh, you know, Benson Henderson, he's like one of those type tiered guys. Mm-hmm. And I, I just don't see Tony being able to pass him up. And then you're going to keep bringing these guys in. And then what do you got? You got, you know episodes of raw right and that's what they're going to try to sell to warner brothers discoveries like hey look they got raw over here but we got raw right here and you get it for half the price which is so odd because when this company was a success they were actively going out of their way to be different than raw when they were selling out arenas legitimately like and they can you can throw wembley at me all you want but they sold that thing without knowing a fucking match so you can't tell me the brochachas sold that thing out because they didn't Right. Yeah. The idea of AEW in the UK sold that out. But look, look at what's the going private, on here. Look at the private chat real quick. Look, oh, check out private, private chat real quick. Private, yeah, yeah. I didn't realize we uh, on Streamyard. Oh. On Streamyard, I'm trying to oh, oh, we're trying to signal you. I'm yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> I sent yeah, one I to you. you. I got you. Okay. I was I was, I was, to, yeah. I was setting you up for this. So Tony <laughs> Khan asked us to put our money where our mouth is. Hey, I'm going dynamites in Chicago. I haven't missed dynamite before Thanksgiving. I'm an AEW fan, believe it or not. I'm going and the show is, and I wasn't thinking about not going, but then they offered to buy one, get one. And you know, Bogo max sold me on it. <laughs> told yes. me to put my money in your mouth. Is Bogo max. You got, you got it done, yeah. brother. I got one, me and my kid, me and Andy are going to go to the show and we're going to pay half what we paid last time. And there's going to yeah. be right now. There's less, there's like half the people that were there in June in Chicago. 
I couldn't go to All Out 2021. I'm sorry, no, I couldn't go to All Out 2019. I went 21. It was sold out in minutes in Chicago. Mm-hmm. All Out the original, the biggest independent pro wrestling show ever. They owned this fucking town. Survivor Series is coming here over the weekend. <clears throat> sold out. Yeah. 15,000 mm-hmm. people in the Allstate Arena. AW, hey, Max keeps telling us he's a generational talent. He sure is. He's the only champion in AEW history that you have to give away tickets to go see. Great job, guys. You're doing an awesome <clears throat> job with your territory. Me and my a- me and my kid Mark are gonna go check it out this week. <laughs> yeah, he's the most fan friendly champion that there's ever been he in is. AEW history. Yeah, because the tickets it. are much cheaper with him as champion. Yeah. I, I mean, Tony, somebody put my money where my mouth is. You know, he won't announce who's in this C this this C two tournament. Because God forbid you tell the fans what show you're going to watch. Vince didn't do that in 1998, so we can't do that now, right? But again, yeah. hey, I should <clears throat> thank them. I should thank Tony for cutting his prices in half. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Tony. That's so thoughtful on this glorious holiday season. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful that you guys can't sell tickets anymore. The only shame is we're not getting Mystico. Yeah, that, that, that would be nice. Um, but if, if they did get Mystico, would probably, you know, you probably wouldn't be able to get all those tickets. But uh, here we go. We Dude, got the Chicago um, people in Chicago. Yeah. My Latino friends would go crazy if Mystico was here. Yeah. Oh, my God. So we got the selection special hosted by Tony Schiavone and Tony Khan uh, this Wednesday. It doesn't does it say a time. It doesn't say a time. Sure so doesn't. this Wednesday, Thanksgiving Eve. Isn't that pertinent information? I would like to know. I yeah. I would like to know. But anyway, they're it's the um they're gonna I guess they're gonna reveal the names on Wednesday night. So um I don't know. I honestly like I I'm having a hard time caring about the tournament. Um they don't make they're not that. giving you a reason to care. What's there to yeah. care about? What is there boy, you know who cares about this tournament? New Japan Pro Wrestling. Yeah, there's some there's some there's some dark rumors floating around the old Twitter sphere that maybe Maybe some companies aren't happy about this tournament and their titles being used. So I I talked about this earlier today. Oh, by the way, earlier today, um, I'm starting a new thing where I'm just going to try to do news updates throughout the week. I can just use voice memos on my phone. It actually didn't sound bad. Um, The show wasn't that good because I didn't really have my notes ready to go. I just kind of hit record and then I rambled. (laughs) But it was, you know, it was a a rough draft of a a new thing that I'm doing. I actually talked about uh, potentially, so I think it was, uh, it was put out there by the Super J cast that, that, yeah, that uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling was not really happy that uh, the New Japan Strong title was on the line. Now, a good friend of ours that, that, you know, lingers in a certain spot said that, that this is not, he didn't believe that this is the case. So, so there are people out there saying that the opposite is true. So we do have to factor that in there. Um, and other folks have saying that the, the super J cast stuff guys, maybe they've gotten stuff wrong. But I don't know. I, I, I don't really know much about those guys. I know that they're on the same network as us, but I am not really familiar with their work. So they broke, uh, they the seem like they're door. plugged in. They broke the forbidden oh, okay. door story. Um, okay. They said now they said they had from three different sources, and I think our friend that lurks in the spot mainly has his sources in AEW. I don't know if yeah. they have sources in New Japan, so of course, thing the AEW says like everything is fine, everything is awesome. We watched that yeah. with Andy last night; he loved it. Um, <laughs> great movie. Uh, yeah, man. I don't know. I think uh, I think this is the worst time in the history of AEW. I think right now is worse than Brawl Out. Yeah, 
Yeah, because and it's because at least it, during Brawl Out, the shows were still really good. They were the set like, that best had, of seven series was great. Yeah, and our podcast numbers were awesome <laughs> during during sure. Brawl Out. So yeah, like if they could just do so, like now if we can get somebody to show up and just start slapping the hell out of each other backstage, that would be helpful to us. But Andrade um, right 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 seems like Andrade's ready to start throwing blows again. So we'll see. Yeah, how that, that guy's that guy's always that guy's always mad. But he's a mountain. So people have been saying that AEW is going the way of WCW for so long. Um, and I just didn't buy it. And um, I think people were just saying it just to say it because they've been wanting AEW to fail. So that way they're right about something, mm-hmm. right? Like we, we, we know some people, some people from our former network, at least one guy from our former network would, would say stuff like that. Um, Jim Cornette's been saying stuff like that for a long time. I just, I just didn't buy it, but full gear. I was like, this is a, like this is WCW. You're getting the whole WCW. You're getting a sh- like a shitty angle for a main event, tons of interference, and then you're getting great matches on top of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'll be honest, the Texas Death Match. It's awesome. Up until Brian, it was up until Brian Cage interfered. I thought it was one of my favorite matches in AEW. But it was just like, I, and maybe because I watched it on delay, and but I didn't know the Brian Cage thing was happening. I didn't really pay attention to what people were saying. It was just so awesome. It's so awesome. And then Brian Cage comes in. It's like, he was unnecessary. Like, this whole thing was awesome. Like, I liked Prince Nana getting involved. But Brian Cage, I was like, get get him out of there. What, what are we doing? Um, The Brian Cage thing has gotten a lot more people tiffy than it's gotten me. It didn't yeah. bother me, mainly because Cage and Page, oh boy, I love that, have, have <laughs> history together. So yeah, for, for me, it was, it was just like, another match was, with more interference. So we're just what we're getting. It's all fuckery. You're right. Still. Yeah, but that's why Tony Khan's promises a tournament with no fuckery. How fucked up is this company that they have to tell you? Like, I don't know, man. I, I hate to be like, if this was my territory, this is what I would do. But I just, I, I hate praising Eric Bischoff. It makes me feel so dirty. But I just, I love what he said when he was coming up at Nitro. He's like, he watched Raw and said, this is what they do. This is what I can do. Yeah. Right. And he made in 1996, right? Monday Night Raw was the coolest show. 97, too. Monday Night Raw was the coolest wrestling show ever. Yeah, it was. Um, no, no, Nitro. I'm sorry. Nitro, Nitro. Nitro. 96, Nitro, excuse me, was the coolest wrestling show ever. I'm so you saying Monday Night Raw. Like, Nitro was the coolest show ever in the, for, a, for about two years. Mm-hmm. And then they started to lose it. Right. Yeah. And we're here now. We're here now. Yeah, you know, so with Tony Khan saying the the no interference thing, shouldn't that just be the norm? Yeah, it should. Right? You know, like why would you have to announce that? Like your your stuff's gotten so bad that now you have to announce that that's the like okay for this thing and this thing only we're not going to have interferences. I'm like, but like like how do you police that? It's a wrestling show. Yeah, like you can't you can't control anything. You couldn't control Swerve going into Hangman's house and. Like, which is one of my favorite angles, by the way, I, I wrestling can be ridiculous and I'm okay with it. I thought that angle was great, but, but you're talking, when you're talking like that and you're doing it on television in the context of the show, you're saying you're promising no outside interference. Why do you think that these 12 people and all of their friends, cause everybody's got a, a faction. Why do you think they're all going to adhere to that? Because they want to make the boss mad, but they interfere with every interview and every match that they have. Right. So it's like, I, I, I don't know. It just, that just seems like a desperate attempt to me. 
I think Matt Hardy and Pat Buck and Jimmy Jacobs and these guys are in Tony's ear. And to be honest, I don't think Brian Danielson's super, super not guilty of this either. I think all these yeah. guys are saying this is what fans want. They want the music to play. So they turn their head. They want this. They want that. When it's the opposite is true. It's so weird because pro wrestling, it's still, even at all time, it still seems like pro wrestling has this content for its audience. Mm-hmm. Right. Like they think we're, they still think we're marks. They still think we're stupid. They still think we just won't appreciate wrestling. And they'll point to look at WWE, but WWE is the only place where it works. Every other company that's tried to do what WWE does has failed miserably every time. Like it's well, this is pro wrestling. Just watch MMA if you don't want that. Well, dude, that's what most people have done. You can't compare like wrestling used to dominate MMA. Not anymore. Yeah. But so that's a very people that say that it's like very black and white. It's not a very nuanced. Yeah. It's not a very nuanced thing to say. It's like nobody's saying that we don't want it to be like bullshit. Like the hangman swerve thing was mostly BS, but we loved it. We want, we want the cool characters. We want the, the awesome promos. We want two people like mad at each other to fight over something tangible, right? We don't want a hundred title belts. We don't, you know what I mean? We, we, we don't want like hokey crap. We don't want the reason why John Moxley left WWE, right? Like the, the hokey stuff, right? Him coming out saying everybody stinks and this, like that he was doing in WWE as well. Like if I wanted that, I know where I could get that. AEW was supposed to be the opposite. And that's why I loved it so much. And why I tuned in every single week. You used a great word there. It was cool. Yeah. Right. That's why Swerve has a lot of popularity right now. Oh, yeah. People look at him and think he's cool. That's why Hangman Page is something in this company. Like, I don't think he's a good promo. I think he cut no. the best promo of his life two weeks ago. Um, I think there's an aura about Page that's cool. Right? This is something this comp like this MJF character is not cool. Bog Bogo Max. Can we just start calling him Bogo, Bogo Max? We're gonna get that yeah. over. Okay, yeah. we're gonna get that. That was my that was my thing. We'll make it a thing. Bogo yeah. Max is not cool. There's nothing yeah. cool. Like when he was the when he was the edge lord asshole, there was something about him that was, you know, kind of dangerous, you know, kind of like a badass, right? He was completely unlikable, but there was something in there that was, you know, for a villain, kind of cool. Not all yeah, the time. Now, not all the but time. But now he's but now he's cosplaying as a 90s baby face, and I don't fucking care about it. We already have a guy cosplaying as a 90s baby face on the other show, and he's one of the biggest stars in wrestling. Like, I don't yeah. need to see LA Knight in this company. That's what he's acting like, and he's not as good at it as L.A. Knight is. No, no, he's better in the ring than L.A. Knight, and like when he wants to be, he's a better promo. But he's not a better '90s babyface character than L.A. Knight because no. L.A. Knight's been working that character for twenty years. Twenty years, he's really good at it. <laughs> yeah. This is what's amazing: is five years ago, the knock on MGF was he was an EC3 clone, but he couldn't. Yeah. He could just talk; he couldn't work. That's what everybody said. Now it's the complete opposite. This guy's putting out great matches. I should have loved that Jay White match, but I couldn't get over all the bullshit. I can't get over it. Like, this guy's trying to kill himself doing flying cutters and elbows to the floor. Like, just the sad part is he's doing this to win guys like us over. But he doesn't realize it's all the other bullshit that's detracting from it. If he just kept his fucking mouth shut or was an authentic person, a cool person, that would work, but he's not. He's so insecure. Like it's interesting. The Roman Reigns character is remarkably insecure, and he masks it with all this, you know, 
um, bravado. Whereas the Maxwell Jacob Friedman character is remarkably insecure and shows us he's remarkably insecure all the time. Like Mm -hmm. this company has forgotten how to be cool because they're trying so hard to be cool. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And they're trying so hard to be cool in the eyes of WWE fans. Yeah. They, they think this is cool. Like stone cold, Steve Austin in the attitude era and Kurt angle, they, you know, they stole the ambulance and came back in. Right. And that was cool at the time, but it's just been done before. It's just been done before. And so when AEW is doing it, I'm thinking, and it's their top baby face and it's just super ridiculous. Um, I just, just not into it. Um, No. And that's, that's where the, I mean, that's kind of where we are right now is that there's nothing, nothing in this place feels real anymore. There's no authenticity. And I think Tony Stone does an all right job playing the character. I think it's too much now. I think when she first started mm-hmm. on this, it was fine, but now it it's gone great, way yeah. in the other direction. It was way, it's gone way in the other direction. <laughs> it's so <laughs> phony, right? Yeah. This was supposed to be the place. Like Moxley said, I come, you come here, you be real. You come here, you mm-hmm. get to be yourself. You play your own music. That's gone. That's yeah. gone. And that's like, sad to me because this was the shot this was the shot that pro wrestling had at doing something different on a major level like maybe this tna reboot will be something special but it's still going to be on access it's still going to like you know like i said a couple of weeks ago if they if they go wild and double their audience it's still mm-hmm. two hundred thousand people which is a yeah. little bit more than collision got this week <laughs> but, yeah. yeah they've broken that two hundred thousand uh, mark before um, they have which is which if you're AEW, it's pathetic, by the way. It's absolutely yeah. pathetic. But mm. again, if you want, if you have McDonald's next to some off-brand burger chain, Hardee's or something like that, the line for McDonald's is going to be way longer. Yeah. You know, but if you have Chipotle next door, you know, now you got a choice. You know, I'd rather have a burrito bowl. Mm-hmm. You know, and like that's, I think that's the problem. And we argued this for a long time. Fuck the casuals. This is why. This is why you have to fuck the casuals because the casuals will abandon you in a heartbeat. Yep. Yes. Um, well, I don't want to, I don't want to be on this topic too much. This is actually supposed to be our second topic, but we went right oh, into yeah. it. We, oh, yeah. We've been, well, we've been chatting about it like since, you know, over the weekend and then all, all day today. Um, but what I really wanted to get into, first of all, um before we 30, got sidetracked 35 30. minutes into the show yeah. yeah um what i wanted to get into so the reason why we're here is because we want to talk about the wrestling observer hall of fame let me pull up the uh the observer here so we we actually did a special uh, a couple of weeks ago where we had talked about our ballots that don't exist but we still went, went ahead and we pretended as if we had ballots and and then we submitted those fake ballots and it went nowhere but i did send the video over to dave Meltzer, so hopefully he watched it in order to give us a ballot one day um well now the results are in we have seven new uh selectees for the wrestling observer hall of fame we have a rocket and perez at uh 63 percent we have beauty pair at 63 or or, sorry rocket and perez is 63.2 percent beauty pair 63 percent sergeant slaughter 62.9 uh jack and jerry briscoe 61.3 percent tomohiro ishii 60.9%. 60.9%. God bless you, John Muse, for getting Ishii across the finish line there. Uh, Blue Panther out of Mexico, 60.6%. And George Kidd with an even 60%. One um, vote, right? Wasn't George yeah. Kidd got it by one vote or something like that? 
I, I think he did. I think he did. So he's going to, and then the guys felt the we had some guys fall off the ballot, which I'll, I'll get into in a little bit, but um, what, what do you think about these, uh, the selectees, man? Um, We both were agreeing that rock and Perez should be there. They're the first big draw tag team and major yeah. draw tag team. So they had to be there. Both you and I spoke very highly of Sergeant Slaughter on our preview mm-hmm. show. We both thought he should have been in. Um, I, I, I did not see Jack and Jerry Briscoe going in. So that was a surprise. <laughs> I, I'm gonna be honest with you. John Muse got this done with Tomohiro Ishii because he oh, said yeah. it to us. He said to us in our group thread, and I said, "Nah, I don't see it." And then he freaking sold. He sold me on it. And I'm pretty sure he sold you on it too. Oh, yeah. And between him and Jesse Collins, also write an article. I think there was enough of the right people writing about about Ishii. Where there's some people that are like mad that he got in. Like yeah. legitimately upset that Tomohiro Ishii is in the Hall of Fame, which is weird to me. I don't know why you get upset about something like well, that. Well, they're they're mad because he doesn't check all three boxes. But if you blow away one of the boxes, you're in. Like yeah. for, for and it so this is very much a, a built off of the baseball hall of fame, right? Yeah. There are some differences, but for the most part, it's the baseball hall of fame. If you're a home run hitter and you hit 550 homers, but your batting average is like 200 and you don't really have any world series rings, but because you hit 500 homers, you're going to get in, right? Like Mm -hmm. that's the threshold. If you're a pitcher and you get 300 wins, but you never won the world series and you were never the, the MVP or the Cy Young. Right. But you, you know, you got, you know, 15 to 20 wins every single year. um, You're going to get in. Or if you're, or if you're like a second baseman that gets 3000 hits, but you never won MVP, you're going to get in. Tomohiro Ishii is one of those guys. He has far and away, the, some of the best matches that you've ever seen in your life. And he's done it consistently for decades. And he got in based on match quality. He got in based on one thing. He's not the most famous. He's not the biggest draw. He was never the top guy in his promotion, but match quality got him in. It's one of the three boxes that gets you in. And so by that alone, he deserves to be in and he got the votes, right? <laughs> right. right. You're a Niners guy. Like, yeah. Am I crazy when I say that kind of makes me think of Joe Montana? Joe Montana was a pretty good quarterback that played in a fantastic system, right? Yeah. Yep. Like the, Bill, um, Bill watches West Coast offense, rend- like revolutionized offense in the early 1980s. And he became yeah. a superstar, you know, with the right tools around him. Does he have that sex success if he's playing for, say, the Chicago Bears? Yeah. You know? And- and and we'll you know we'll we'll never know right because no, he was we'll a third round know. draft pick. Well, he was a third round draft pick out of Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Um, he did go on to have success with the Kansas City Chiefs under Mar- Marty Schottenheimer, who was also a pretty good also coach. Hall of Fame quarter um, coach. You know, he, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he he did go over there. But look, why why did he get in the Hall of Fame? He had a he had a great coach. He had longevity. He won four Super Bowls, and when mm-hmm. the game was on the line, he got it done right? every time. But he didn't have the Dan Marino and Peyton Manning right. stat. He right. didn't have those sets. He didn't have the cannon arm. Now his footwork is probably better than all of them. True. Uh, and his ability to scramble and his ability to make decisions. He had, you know, great passer ratings all throughout his career. Um, you know, th- um, he, he was, you know, considered the, the best ever until Tom Brady took over at that position. It's not about whether or not you throw 5,000 passing yards. It's about, can you get the W's? Can you get, mm-hmm. can you lead your team when the game is on the line? And that's what he was able to do. Um, and, and it, a lot of, a lot of wrestlers are like that. Right. And, and they, when, when it matters most and Ishii is one of those guys in the G one, 
right? He is MVP almost every year because he has the best matches in losing efforts. They typically make him lose a lot of those matches, but he is just a guy that you can count on to go out there and kill it every single time he's in there. I'm telling you, my seven-year-old knows who Tomohiro Ishii is because the Dynamite was here last year and he had the match with Chris Jericho, right? And he remembers that chop fest that they had. And he's still to this day. Remember when Chris Jericho's chest was purple? Like... (laughs) He's seven, and that's st- like that sticks out to him. Like that just tells me that someone is really. Like, what is the job of a professional wrestler ultimately? Is to get the fans going in the matches, right? Mm-hmm. We get so bogged down in all this other stuff that it's really easy to forget the match is the most important part. And Tomokira with Ishii, you always know the match is going to be special. And like I said, he passed the seven-year-old test, so this he belongs, man. He definitely belongs in the Hall of Fame. I know people are mad about it, but you know, boo fucking who. Yeah, and if you don't, it, and if you don't want him to get in, and you want, and you have a case to make for one of your favorites, right? Do the work, and mm-hmm. by doing the work, that doesn't mean go into a Discord thread and say, "Hey, is this guy a Hall of Famer?" And then let everybody do the work for you, right? What you do is you actually go to do the research, go through the observers, go through cage match, take a look at what what the house was whenever they were on top, right? How many main events have they been in? Um, all, all of those things, add that all up and then make your case, but don't, don't get mad because somebody else did, did the work when made the case. And just because you don't think that somebody should get in based off of one criteria, uh, which you're wrong. It's not your criteria. It's Dave Meltzer's criteria and everybody voted on it. And this is the criteria. This is the way it is. Now, if you think it's a sham hall of fame, well, that's fine. Just don't fucking vote anymore and go do something else. Go vote mm-hmm. on the cage match hall of fame. Go Go watch the WWE Hall of Fame where they literally just pick the person every year based off of a specific need in that moment in time, right? Vince McMahon's um, driver is in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, this is this is the most legitimate Hall of Fame in pro wrestling. There's nothing that even comes close. He, like, And as much as I respect the Cauliflower Alley, the things that they do for retired professional wrestlers, um, all and you know, it's a charitable organization. They give out awards um, every single year for different categories. Is but there's no real voting and they don't really bring in everybody in on it. It's just mm-hmm. kind of like a, a like a celebration every year, and I think it's awesome. And you know what? I like I like the WWE Hall of Fame, by the way. I don't think it's like a legitimate Hall of Fame, but I like when people break their bodies down and they get celebrated once a year, right? Like I thought it was cool to see the Bushwhackers go in the Hall of Fame, not because they were a great tag team, but because they, you know, spent years out there breaking their bodies down and they got to go in front of a big crowd long after their fame was over to be celebrated in front of their fans, in front of their peers, and in front of the new generation of pro wrestling. I think that stuff's cool. So I'm not trying to shit on anything. I'm just saying this is the most legitimate. It's closely resembles the baseball Hall of fame and um the criteria is the criteria and if you want to change the criteria you know submit a dissertation right do a case study about why you think the japanese wrestlers shouldn't get in um why 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 they shouldn't get their votes shouldn't count the same as americans i I think you're you're silly but do the work so like it's funny to talk about the wwe one because you know like the wwe hall of fame isn't really respected in our circles but you know who really digs the wwe hall of fame the wrestlers Yes. Like they treat it like it matters. So, you know, it it has something different. This is more of, like I said, for us, right? Like, I don't, I don't know how many workers get excited about the WWE Hall of Fame. And like you said, like do the work campaigning is perfectly legal in in a democracy, right? And this is a democratic process. And I'll be honest with you. I was of the mind that Bobby Davis should have gotten voted in. I am inspired by John I plan on doing the work next year 
to get yes. Bobby Davis the most the preeminent manager, the guy who defined what a pro wrestling manager should be. I plan on doing the work next year to get this guy elected because I think it's necessary. So, and and for some people it could just be a blind spot because Bobby Davis came out before any of us were ever even watching pro wrestling born. Yeah. And there, and there's not really a ton of Bobby Davis footage out there. So, um, so I, I I think that's but it takes just somebody doing actual research. Now we did read a Jesse Collins article, and I thought it was a great article. We read Jesse most of that on job. the air. Yeah, he did, he did a really good job. But we need more. We need more. We need to get more in depth and to make mm-hmm. sure that he uh, he 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 gets on the ballot. Um, I'm actually running through the numbers right now, and I want to. I'll, I'll go ahead and just pull it back up. Hold on. So um, he, him, him not getting in surprising me. I think the the one that surprised me the most was I just figured that the young bucks were going to get in. I, I think everybody, I didn't, really see, I didn't really see a good argument against them unless you just don't like them, I guess. That's the um, argument. Yeah. But they got, they got 55.1%. Paul Orndorff at 55.4%. That one surprised me too. I thought that he, he would get it. He belongs. I think what hurts Paul Orndorff is the, is the comeback. Right, because he yeah. was a mid-card guy in the comeback. But, I mean, that's like an amazing comeback story, right? I think yeah. that's another guy. I think that <clears throat> we hopefully in a year we have a bigger platform, right, and we utilize what we do best, which is the video podcast form, yeah. right? I think we need to do some, like, specials, like special Mike and JD, you know, videos on those two candidates in particular, Right. And then yeah. put our put, do what Tony Khan says, put our money where our mouth is. Yeah. Cause the young bucks are getting in. Okay. Yeah. That's uh, I don't happen. think there's any doubt there. I think I'm hoping that Paul Orndorff will get in, but maybe we need to do the work and we need mm-hmm. to, we need to push Orndorff. We need to push Bobby Davis. Um, Roman Reigns is going to get in eventually. He got 52.4%. I, I think as the, the, you know, the, the dust settles and the smoke is cleared, all that, that horseshit. I think eventually he'll get in uh, dynamite kid and Davy boy Smith. Um, I, that one, they, they might be borderline for a long time, unfortunately, because the, they don't really have the longevity as a team and dynamite kids already in the hall of fame. And I think people are holding Davy boy Smith's singles run against him in this, in this category. Mm-hmm. Because Davy boys, a single was nowhere near as good as Davy boy in the, and Davy had some good stuff, but the stuff that you remember of Davy boy, he was just a big steroid dude who didn't really, you know move well but if you go back to 86 and it's like a davy boy was a good part of that team man oh yeah oh yeah yeah he he was he was fantastic um johnny rujo he uh he didn't make it at 27 percent i i think i think pat i think pat lapraz get to work this one maybe we need to reach out to him and get him on the show next year to mm-hmm. to, to sell uh johnny rujo to the masses um big daddy there was actually a lot of people uh, Americans voting in voting for Big Daddy in this category, even though they don't really know anything about the the European oh. the rest of the world vote, um, they were just uh, voting for Big Daddy because I think it was going to make Alan Blackstock happy. <laughs> That's exactly because everyone loves Alan Cheap Shots Twitter, <laughs> yes, and he's yeah. and yeah, but that guy does the work. He's trying to campaign, yeah. so I can't I can't fault him on that. Hey. Same with uh, like, hey, do you heard you heard that Dave said he voted for Ted Turner and talked about how influential Ted Turner was? When I suggest hey. that you shit on me. And again, that's a guy that I think that belongs in the Hall of Fame because he's the second most Wait. important person in wrestling in the 20th century. Yes, sir. So Dave said it? Dave said it. Okay, now I'm in. 
No, I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Yeah. You know what? Like, look, I don't really have like um, a strong case against him, but it was kind of what, what Dave was saying on his show. The, 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 the knock on Ted Turner is that he never actually worked in wrestling. You know, the promoters paid him to air the TV show for a long time. And then he bought WCW and then WCW crapped out. Um, I, I, he just, you know, and like, he never really thought about wrestling. I, but I, I'm not like dead set against him going in. He was very, very, very important to the history of pro wrestling. One of the most important figures in, in all of pro wrestling. I don't think we have modern wrestling without him. Um, he, and I just, saved, there's just other people I would just put ahead of him. He saved wrestling from being a monopoly for 15 years. Yeah, that's true. He did. He did. Absolutely. Like he kept um, the fuck. Ted Turner single-handedly kept the fire burning for just the entire industry rolling over for Vince McMahon only four years into his march. Right. Yeah. And I think that, I think that deserves honor from wrestling fans. Yeah. Um, single-handedly launched the boom, by the way, the boom doesn't happen without TBS. Yeah. Um, Ted Turner was at 43.1%. Uh, CM Punk, 44%. I think CM Punk's going to get in eventually. Um, I think as time goes by, will, people will see him as a influential figure and a big-time draw. And um, He's had a lot of great matches. I think that he gets in eventually. I think a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, AEW supporters are a bit salty at him right now, and they, uh, they did not vote for him this year. I think if he gets back in WWE and has a, a good close to his career, he can kind of blow over some stuff and then repair his, his image a little bit. I think he has taken a big hit over the last year. He's been a very divisive personality and mostly by his own doing. Yeah. Like he, well, yeah, should yeah. Be the, he should be the patron saint of everybody who doesn't like WWE. And he was for a long time until he made some, you know, questionable moves in the last year. Everyone over there has to be honest with you. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, Mike Tanay, that one's going to be a tough one because of uh, his TNA run. People don't really value TNA, but uh, you know, we we talked about this on our other special. He was he was the lead announcer for the number two pro ref- world's pro wrestling show for like ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only that, he was influential long before that with all the work that he did in WCW and uh, on the you know not only the newsletter, but he had his radio show out of Vegas and all that stuff and the research that he's put in and educated people on. Uh, I, I think that think he should go in eventually it just might take a little bit more time might take a little bit more time i think i think if tna has a comeback then it's well loved i think it'd be all right the dog yeah. not the dog kind of dropping hurts yeah. i think i think he's i think he's ashamed that he's not in you know well, his his run was so short but damn was it a good run you know he you know it did, and it was you know had that out of you know new orleans all those superdome sellouts and mm-hmm. things like that but uh he flamed out so quickly <laughs> by the time he got to wwf he was shot you know yeah but he was he still had two, some fun stuff but. he was the number two baby face there for a yeah. good two years but right? he was like, having he was, big daddy level matches <laughs> like, yeah, he, he, was, he was i mean he was hardly nobody, moving and he would just do the headbutt it was real hokey you know but nobody was having but nobody had good matches in WWF with the exception of Randy Savage and Rick Steamboat, maybe Greg Valentine, like who and Orndorff, like there's like four dudes that had good matches over there. Tito five. But I mean, like, that's like, but that's like it. Like the, for the most part, WWF, especially in that era was all about the circus is coming to town. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Vince didn't want you to have good matches. He wanted you to get over. He thought that was, there was a big difference there. Um, so I, I think after the iron claw, um, comes out, I think I bet they're in Kevin, David and Carrie, I think they're going to get a ton of votes I because agree. not only, not only is iron claw coming out, I think 
a televised wrestling promotion is going to bring in the Von Erich kids, the, the young ones that were just in MLW. They're not that great, but they look good and yeah. uh, they can brawl. And I, I think somebody's going to bring them in. And Kevin, who's been all over television in Texas, and he was just at the Cowboys game being honored, I think he's going to make his rounds. Um, the Rock was just talking about him on Joe Rogan's podcast last last week, talking about the Von Erichs and um, saying that he, you know, was a kid and he was in the ring with those guys when he was like a like a little boy, and uh, talking about him on Joe Rogan, and then um, he was talking about them on Twitter. I think that's going to be helpful to their cause. So. Um, yeah, I think I think they are going to be a lot closer next year. If the movie, <clears throat> excuse me, if the movie is an Oscar contender, which they're shooting for, that's what A twenty four is going yeah. for with this thing. Um, you know, that's why you put you know Jeremy Allen White in something. He's a really good young actor. I I think that people get behind it. I would. I'm sh- with with MJF being a, a quote unquote executive producer, the most bullshit title in Hollywood uh, producer on this film. <laughs> It is a bullshit title. It is. I'm yeah. shocked that they're not doing something right now with them, but that could change. I fully anticipate the Von Eric, some type of Von Eric presence around Christmas time in, in AEW. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so do I. Uh, man, Sputnik Monroe, he's just he not getting the votes. He's 32.1%. Uh, yeah. I, I think it's a shame. I don't think enough people realize what he is a human meant for the aboriginal civil rights movement. But I mean, at some point it does check the box on any, I mean, like, look at this way. He's got more votes than Randy Orton. Yeah. Yeah. He, well, no, he has 101 votes. Randy Orton <coughs> oh, 100. Uh, Sputnik's in a different category. You, you don't, yeah. you don't get to pick as many people in the Sputnik's category. Uh, more Siegel at uh, 31.4%. I just think that people just never he heard belongs. of the guy. Yeah. That's yeah, he, he, I, I just don't think they understand that he was a, he was promoting one of the top territories for over 30 years and, uh, and they were doing it successfully. Mm-hmm. Um, but people just, when they, when they think of Houston wrestling, they think of Paul Bosch and not, uh, Morris Siegel, unfortunately. TV. Um, yeah, TV, but yeah, Randy Orton, um, he, he's probably one of those guys. He'll get in eventually. He's like a 3000 hit guy. He he's, he's going to get in. Um, but yeah, other than that, no, no real surprises. Um, I, uh, I, I did. I did like the class. I was disappointed that some of the people that I really wanted to go in, like, like for instance, like I voted for Roman Reigns, but the fact that he's not in, I'm not like emotionally bothered by that. You know, like Young Bucks, I thought they would go in. They're so close that they're going to get in soon. Um, Roman? So that's not that big of a. I Roman's I like, I think Roman went from 31% to like 50 something percent. Roman had yeah. a gigantic uptick. If next yeah. year is like this year, I bet he's in next year. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think somebody needs to do the work on Roman, both positive and negative, because I've mm-hmm. seen some articles uh, that that came out on several websites about Roman not getting in, but they didn't really like tie it to like actual statistics, right? They just said that he's not as big a draw as John Cena, so you're saying he's the second biggest, okay? So <laughs> like like, but if you if you do the math and you got him him on the on headlining the the shows he's you know the biggest headlining act that there is now i get it wwe is the draw mm-hmm. um but he also is a draw and wwe has him as their top guy for a long time i think he's a shoe and i think he eventually will get there he's not big daddy 
we can't treat Roman like no. he's a big daddy. Is he a slam no. dunk? I don't think he's a slam dunk. I like in my in my in my eyes, he's a slam dunk. I think no. people just undervalue WWE because WWE is this machine. They undervalue the machine. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, you're there. Now you have automatic tick against you because that's where you're at. Because you don't like if you didn't have that name, you wouldn't draw. Um, and some people have to go outside of that system to go prove it to the observer readers. I just don't think that that's necessary in my opinion. I I the argument I think is interesting with Roman is if he didn't he got way more chances than anybody else and eventually they made it work but it took near a decade to do it yeah but them's right. the breaks he it did work them's the breaks right. it did work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so I mean like but it's only worked for like a year you know like he's only really been a draw this year well you know business business was going down 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 but yes. like we've talked about with sting it's very difficult to overcome bad creative it is very right? difficult to overcome it is very and, and i felt like they just put him in impossible scenarios and but create like the creative machine is they finally got something that clicked and things are up but if you take a look at like statistically um the every wrestlemania that he's ever headlined is the number one show that year, right? You you can only talk about your era and the comp and what you've done in your company in your era. Mm-hmm. And he's been the top guy the entire time during downtimes and then now back up on the upswing. Just like I don't hold the I don't hold Sting accountable for the way WCW drew in the nineties. I'm not going to hold Roman Reigns accountable for the the downward spiral mm-hmm. because I just think that was just a very out of touch old man running that company, uh, kind of putting it in a death spiral. But how long did it take Sting to get into the Hall of Fame? Took a long time. And I felt yeah. like too long. And I felt like too long. I, I, yeah. I but the, again, I grew up with Sting, right? Me too. So, like, to me, he was like a, an iconic figure. I felt like he was one of the top five stars of the 90s. But people just look at it differently because, you know, they, he wasn't, he, he wasn't as good at drawing Ho- as Hogan and he wasn't as good at draw as Flair. I'm like, okay, well, who, who was? Well, what? nobody. Right. So you can only you, you can't hold if that's the standard, then nobody else gets in. Right. Mm-hmm. I had a thought while we were talking about this, all this talk about Roman and the crowd not accepting him. Remember that when that was a big thing, when the yeah. crowds are openly rejecting Roman Reigns? They did the Cena too, by the way. But go ahead. They did with Cena too. I'm one of those guys yeah. that, that checked out yeah. when Cena same, became the man. Um are we seeing that with MJF? I only bring this, I only bring this up because you and I have both seen a tremendous uptick of online support for Swerve Strickland and people Mm -hmm. want to see him become the guy, but you and I have both heard some scuttlebutt of where the title plans for AEW are going for the next six months. By the way, I hate him. Um, (laughs) No, no spoilers, but the fan base is letting you know very vociferously that they want Swerve Strickland as the world champion. And we're not, I'm telling you guys right now, you're not going to get that in the near future. Yeah. Not, not, not soon. You're going to get, I'm telling you, Max is not going anywhere at the top of the card. Mm -hmm. Are we going to see a new Roman situation in AEW, the company that was supposed to listen to the fan base? I think we're kind of already seeing it. The people that are showing up are still cheering him. He's very much over to the people that are in the audience. The bogos, just, they're the bogos. They're just less of them now, and they're spending less money. Mm-hmm. Right. So they're they're still they're still in with him. It it's only a matter of time before they start to flip that. Um, now, if if they do switch them, 
it, will Tony have the leadership skills, which we've he's proven he does not have, does not. but would he have the leadership skills to then make a decision to flip him heel and go in a different direction? I personally think that he needs to lose that title as soon as possible, get it on somebody young and fresh, and he needs to go away for a while. I think that the devil needs to be Adam Cole. Adam Cole needs to cost him the title to someone young and fresh, and then Adam Cole goes and heals and then comes back and then MJF takes off a few months. We've seen him do that before. And when he did do that before he was, he was bigger over. than ever. Yeah. Right. So I, that's what I think. I think he's just, you know, we were complaining for a long time that we weren't getting enough of him on TV, that he was lazy. Well, now it's too much and that he's got too much power. He's in every segment. The whole show is built around him. And look, and we discussed it on here and, and you brought up the point like, yes, they're trying to make him into Steve Austin. They're trying to build around him. And then eventually it's going to lead to something. But what we've seen is the opposite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, what we've seen is collision doing 180,000. I get that it was on Friday as opposed to Saturday, but, but still gave, that's alarming. You gave your audience a choice. Do you yeah. want to watch Roman Reigns or do you want to watch MJF? And they overwhelmingly said Roman Reigns. Yeah. So, and, and I, I don't really like excuses. So the reason why, the reason why they drew such a bad number is because they didn't give people enough good stuff to watch for them to make it a priority, right? Mm-hmm. They they didn't give people a reason to prioritize their television show. Um, WWE SmackDown was basically unaffected by what was going on on T on TV or TNT. Yeah, so um, you know it's the it's not working. He's oversaturated. Nobody cares anymore. We're all pretty much apathetic and we're, we're kind of, we're kind of getting sick of it. I could, I could see it going the way of Roman Reigns. Now WWE smartly, because for years people rejected Cena, right? And then it wasn't until Cena went away for a while and did a couple movies and then came back that he was actually like the, the baby face legend, right? Cause he was getting rejected for a long time before then it wasn't until Roman went away, come back as a heel. The thing that they wouldn't do with Cena Roman comes back as a heel. And then all of a sudden he's over. Right. And it just, it just took that. It just took the bosses finally figuring it out. Right. Like I'm sure Roman wanted to be healed for a long time. He was probably tired of working against the grain. He just didn't have the authority to do that. And eventually they, they get to it. And then now he's the biggest star in the world. So look at it too, with Roman, with Cena, his last main event, like true main event run, Brock Lesnar murdered him. Remember that SummerSlam 2014. And he hasn't been a main eventer ever since when Cena kind of did his, when every, when Cena won everybody over, it was when he was the U.S. champ doing that open challenge thing and just having, <clears throat> just having great matches. Great matches, not, yeah. Not, not when he single-handedly destroyed the Nexus. Yeah, people hated yeah. that. Me too. Right? I hated it. Everyone yeah. and Cena and Cena was like they were they were force feeding us Cena for so long. It started in the mid two thousands. By twenty eleven, we were so sick of him, and all we wanted was CM Punk. That's yeah. that's what we, we wanted CM Punk. That's all we wanted. And mm-hmm. then they, they finally gave it to us. And of course they jacked it up. Of course they jacked it up in 2011. And that's, but they, that's they why, it. that's why we have AEW. Yeah. It's the John Cena effect, right? You had mm-hmm. all these wrestling, the John Cena and Roman effect. WWE created this contentious relationship with their fan base. Right, they made their fit because again, you'd have you'd show up for shows. I'm guilty as charged. Chance CM Punk, CM Punk at a WWE yeah. show when you weren't happy with something, right? But they never turned. Vince is so stubborn; he never turned away. He just did his thing, and it wound up to the point where 
WWE was tarping off a lot of their crowds, right? Yeah. Remember the Fiend versus Seth Rollins? What a disaster that was. That was months before AEW Dynamite launched, right? Mm -hmm. They created this window where someone could step in and do something. And for a long time, AEW was the company that listened to the fan base. We're doing this, we're doing that. Now Tony has surrounded himself with these WWE guys. We're telling him, no, man, this is what Vince did. And look at Vince. And they're ignoring yeah. the reality of things. And we're creating mm -hmm. the exact same powder keg. Except now the fan base, no, now, now the fan base is like, well, WWE is better now. Fuck you. Or I'll just go back to watching New Japan. Fuck you. Right? Yeah. AEW doesn't have decades of accrued interest and doesn't have the built-in fan base that won't go anywhere. The Julian Weeks of the world who, you know, will support AEW or support WWE no matter what. You know, the AEW doesn't have a lot of those people. Amy Nevity tries to be that person. Sorry, former boss. But I mean, like when she <laughs> tweeted out, MJF is the greatest AEW world champion ever. I wanted to throw my phone at the wall and be like, I cannot believe I just read a, a, a real human being she, wrote those words. She actually wrote that. That's why I actually wrote that after his match. MJF is the greatest world champion ever. I'm like, I expect X. By the way, Excalibur, I'm starting to hate him. All his bullshit. I Duck. I fuck. I'm going to hate the AEW announcing team with the exception of Taz. See, I was I like way ahead of you on that. I never, I was never a fan of Excalibur. I think he just over enunciates. He just comes across as contrived. I feel like he's doing a Moral Ronaldo impression, and Moral oh. Ronaldo does everything naturally, right? Like just him. That's just, he's just constantly like that. I feel like Excalibur is just trying to be moral. I think we've seen the evolution of sky blue. Like Joe did a great rant about that. But when I heard that, <laughs> she stepped on the hat. I was like, at that point, I'm like, X, you're so full of shit. Oh, the devil has been striking at people close to MJF. He beat up Jay White. Like they are so <laughs> fucked up right now. And I feel bad for X because he's told he has to read these things. But yeah. like, if you have no spine, if you're going to be, and I love Tony Schiavone, but if you're going to be 2000 Tony Schiavone, fuck you. Fuck you. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm what happened, man? That's so crazy. I don't I don't know. We were talking about the Hall of Fame and then we went right back to AEW. <laughs> oh, I just met them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. yeah I, that's my fault. Yeah. Fucking Bogo Max. Yeah, Bogo Bogo Max. Hey everybody, tweet Bogo Max. Use the hashtag Bogo that, Max. Put, and then put we'll in the title. Out. Re redo the oh, title. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm gonna redo the title. Um yeah. it'll be uh is Bogo Max killing AEW? And then we'll do Hulkamania Max, Maximania. That's the, that's the new title. And then we'll it. do the, the the dash, you know, the the, yeah, yeah, the dash. dash thing. Yeah. And then we'll do Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame selectees. That's yeah, what we'll I do. Love it. I love yeah. It. Um, so we that, so we, we we did a Mike and JD show. <laughs> essentially a Mike and JD show. Yeah. But we uh, what I really I just really wanted to show some appreciation for our uh, Patreon subscribers. Yeah. We, we cranked out a lot of content this weekend. Not only did I, not only did we have our main show for the voice of the wrestling network that they got here before everybody else, mm -hmm. um, the audio anyway, they got brace for impact, which was done on Saturday before, mm -hmm. before anybody else got to check it out at JD Oliva project live right after the freaking, uh, AEW full gear. Ah. I, yeah. Then you, you released the, uh, the first chapter of Gaijin, your new book. Yep. I did um, which was really cool. Yeah. I hope everybody gets a chance to check that out and provide feedback too, by the way. Want feedback. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Tell, tell JD what you think. And I then, trust and you then, yeah. And then I did, you know, a quick news thing about 10 minutes earlier today. It's just like a test run that I'm doing. I'm going to keep trying to feed you guys content while we continue to try to build the YouTube. You know, I want to make sure that this is our home base that we, we provide everything here. Mike, I don't, I don't know of another, I don't know many Patreon platforms that are providing 
as much consistent content as we're trying to produce week in and week out to help support the guys that have been with us. Like we grew a nice supporter base right away. And I feel like we owe them. Right. Cause yeah. you know, who are we, we were like, we were like the C team at fight game media. Right. And now we're on our own and we're with, you know, voices has given us a nice platform to help grow. And, you know, I just want to, I know you and I both feel the same way. We just want to say thanks and, and just keep giving you guys, money and or just keep giving you guys stuff that you're paying money for like we we appreciate yeah. it greatly yeah we do appreciate you guys i'm very thankful for you guys so i hope that you have a very happy thanksgiving we are not mm-hmm. going to be doing anything on thursday night so we are going to be enjoying our families which i hope you guys will be too um and then uh come this uh probably friday or saturday probably maybe saturday i'm, I'm going to be doing a brace for impact so there is no episode of impact this week so what i'm going to do is i'm going to watch I think like a two and a half hour video that I believe Garrett Kidney put together about the history of the aces and eights. And I'm going to watch that. Why? Well, because if like much like everything in TNA, I liked the beginning and then the end got convoluted and got and shit the bed. And oh, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to check it out. Um, because you know, sometimes when hindsight is 2020, right. And sometimes like you get nostalgia for stuff. I want to know like if it's still bad. And if it is, I'm going to talk about it, but there might be some stuff that I'm like, okay, I thought this sucked then, but it was kind of funny now. You know what I mean? Like as you get away from it, because TNA was always clouded in chaos. So even when they did do good stuff, like I just, I thought it was stupid because 15 other things on the show were already pretty stupid. So um, just much like, much like the death match the other night, like I loved that match, but because every match already had interference, I was like, I'm not interested in this interference. Like, stop it. Fair it. But um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm going to watch that. And then the following week um, and, and we're going to close out here in a sec, J.D., the following week, um, I I think Impact's going to do an IPWF. So I might check out a little bit of that, but I'm actually going to do the uh, I'm going to do a podcast about the main event mafia, because, again, I think Garrett, our colleague of Voices of Wrestling, put out a full uh, history of the main event mafia. Uh, and I'm going to check that out and talk about it. So and then, of course, whatever news comes down the pike. I'm going to put chapter two of Gaijin up on on uh, Friday, I think. Friday or, yeah, Thursday. No one's going to be checking out Thursday. It's Thanksgiving. So, yeah, yeah. Friday I'm going to put that up. And um, I'm off this weekend, so I'm probably no wrestling for us over the weekend. We don't make the kids make weight over Thanksgiving. Made that mistake before. So, <laughs> makes me miserable more than anybody else. <laughs> so, because I got to be up with cutting weight with them. So, I'm probably going to do a J.D. Oliva project. We're going to see how. I'm probably going to do a J.D. Oliva project talking about taking andy to the show on wednesday because like taking my son taking my son to these shows has been one of the best things as a dad we've been to five aew shows now together over the last two years so this will be number six for us and it's just it's a great father-son bonding time for me and my guy and you know i'm probably going to talk about that and um we'll see how i feel because this could be my last AEW show for a while as far as going as a fan because um I don't like I don't like the promoter telling me to put my money where my mouth is while he's offering me bogos. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but you know what? I think uh, I'm also want to be thankful for MJF for making it possible for you to do bogo tickets. Thanks so Max. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks Thank Max. Thank I'm you going, Max. God, I'm going to tweet that. That's great. That's good stuff, yeah. Mike. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good stuff. JD's a genius for coming up with Bogo Max. I think people are. Already- <laughs> 
steal it, steal it, hashtag it, but please, you know, at one point, attribute it to us. I, I beg you. I was thinking about making a sign, but I'm a grown ass man. I can't do that. <laughs> well, give it to your kid, make him do it. No, <laughs> Don't do that to Andy. <laughs> <laughs> Security taking a sign away from a yeah. seven-year-old. I it's know. Let me talk about therapy. Yeah, but man, dude, I am so excited about this. Uh, we're doing the deep dive of the WCW invasion of the WWF in 2001, and I, dude, I forgot just how in depth this story went. Um, so when I started to do my research, I was like, oh, you know what? I, I will do from the from the the final Nitro on. But as I started to read the observers from the final Nitro, they started to reference some stuff that had happened months before, right? And I was like, well, I really need to get a, a better context, a better grasp of the stuff that happened months before. And I, I read The Death of WCW, Brian Alvarez's book, but that's been a long time. So I was like, I'm going to do a little bit of research. Dude, I started doing this deep dive, and there's so many different tentacles that we can go. We can oh, go yeah. so many down different rabbit holes in this story. So I'm going to try to keep it focused on the on the invasion um but this might get a little out of hand so i just you know be prepared this might be a long one so because i have so many notes i have nine pages of notes we're gonna do we're gonna do all the way up from the the beginning of the year in, G in january 2001 all the way up through J july 2001 and the the invasion pay-per-view the wwe or the wecw versus wwf pay-per-view that they did in july so the that's what we're gonna do the yeah the alliance versus wwf yeah um and we talked about this before the show you have not read guy evans nitro book no i have it i i do have it but i have not read it yet it's like on my list um but i so when it came out i had just read well read is a strong word i listened to the audiobook of the death of wcw whoa whoa um, nothing wrong I, with audiobooks audiobooks I, are great i yeah, i, I listen that's how i I listened to the yeah. to the Nitro book twice. So yes, yes. So I, I listened to the the Death of WCW audiobook. I have the actual ebook for the the Nitro book. So um, I, I'm going to read that. I just haven't done it yet. But now that I'm doing this, and I know that there's probably even better context in that all these years later because that guy really, you know, mm -hmm. really went behind the scenes and got people on record to give them this information. I'm pretty excited about that. But this, the information that I got was strictly from like, we're going to go back in time into 2001. We're going to get in a time machine. We're going to go back in 2001 in January, 2001, where I'm 17 years old. I haven't graduated yet. I maybe have experienced one vagina at this point. So that's where we're going back. We're going back to 2001 and we're going to um, act like we're observer readers in 2001, which I was not at the time. Cause I was you know, still a teenager. My parents were going to pay for this shit. So, uh, and I did, I took all of the invasion notes from each of the observer week by week, all the way through July. And I put them into a thing and we're going to go over those things and talk about them. I'm very excited to have this conversation. Um, I'm a little bit older than you. I was in college when this happened. Um, this is also the summer my mom died. So oh, man. for me, this is really, it's at some ways it's the height of my fandom. And it was really kind of like the end of youth for me in that sense, right. because like, it's really, for me, this is a story of disappointment. Yeah. Right. So I can't, I will always, when the, whenever the subject of the invasion comes up, I always think about my mom because, um, the night she, the, she died at midnight, um, Sunday going into Monday and just habit. 
I watched Raw, and it was when the ECW part of it started. So, wow. like, for me, these are, like, intertwined. So I'm actually looking forward to talking about this because, like, um, this week will be the 22nd anniversary of that right around there. So this is, this is actually going to be quite therapeutic for me, and I appreciate this is the direction our show is heading this week. Well, it's good, and I'm glad you said that because I didn't have that context before. But we're we're definitely gonna we're definitely gonna get into uh, get into all of that, man. Well, so, I figured I'd drop ahead. it on you live. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and you and I share that kinship because I have a similar story, but mine was eight years later, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so, but in in the now, let's go back to 2001 in January 2001. Before I read the notes from the Observer, you have to understand what was going on in WCW. They were a dumpster fire, you know, in, in late 1999, they had fired Eric Bischoff. They brought in Vince Russo to run creative Vince Russo. Didn't know what the hell he was doing. He was fired shortly after that. And then in 2000 uh, run about, I'm just going to just skim over this stuff right in 2000, they bring in Kevin Sullivan. He's running stuff. Um, and then eventually they bring back Eric Bischoff and Vince Russo to co-run it at the same time. And then that blows up in their face. That becomes a disaster. Eric Bischoff leaves again. And then um, Eric then starts, to explore sell, uh, buying w- WCW because Time Warner had been actively shopping it. At one point, they tried. They were negotiating a sale. Um, they wanted $600 million, and they were negotiating with a company called SFX to, to purchase it. And I think there was an offer on the table for like $500 million at one point. Um, and that, that deal fell through. And then during that time, they just continued to hemorrhage money because, hey, they had all of these big contracts, right? And the, the big contracts weren't the big problem. The problem was is they weren't drawing any money to be able to pay for all these big contracts that they had. They weren't selling enough pay-per-views. They were selling enough tickets and merchandise and yada, yada, yada. And the reason why is because the show was so bad. Right. And it had been bad since like 1998, even though they were in a hot period, the show just continued to get worse and worse and worse and worse. So that's where we're at in January, uh, January of 2001. I'm going to read right here from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter from January 22nd. After nearly a full year of various rumors, negotiations, and several near-finalized deals, the sale of World Championship Wrestling by Time Warner to Fusant Media Ventures was officially announced on January 11th, literally hours before the announcement that the final step of the Time Warner AOL merger had been cleared. Uh, and now if you take about it in the context of today, we just had that big merger with Warner Brothers Discovery, AEW's in the mix, yada, yada, yada. Um, not exactly the same thing, but there are parallels, right? Um, now, a little bit uh, about Fusant Media. Uh, they're headed by this guy, Brian Badal and Steven Greenberg, who are best known for starting up the Classic Sports Network, which I was a fan of, and then selling it to ESPN, where it became the ESPN Classics for $175 million. Um, they're basically a, a, a venture capitalist company. That's why Fusant Media Ventures, is in, it's in the name. Um, uh, they were recruited by Eric Bischoff to put the deal together in 2000. Turner was seeking $600 million, turned down offers for $500 million, and Fusion agreed to purchase the company for $75 million. So so this was announced, right? So this was announced in the midst of the Time Warner AOL merger that this was going to happen. What 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 are your thoughts? You're talking about what are my thoughts in 2001, or what are my thoughts looking well, back no, no, on just, it? Yeah, just looking back on it, like hey, like this was this was this was a done deal apparently, and they actually they actually had like a press release. They announced the whole thing. You know, um, it's funny because Fusion wasn't the first to come in and try to make this deal happen. Like you talk about the Nitro book, Lenita Erickson and Jerry Jarrett actually made an when like Lena Erickson was like a B team announcer, but her and Jerry Jarrett tried to buy the company too. Yeah. 
yeah. right? And they go into detail in the Nitro book talking about their efforts toward it. Um, fusion, I mean, like, anytime you get these vulture capitalist guys involved with stuff, you always got to kind of raise an eyebrow because, like, what are they going to do? Because venture capitalists, my wife's former company has been, it's funny, you talk about the AOL Time Warner merger. That's WBD, like AOL, yeah. right? So, like, you go through the, the, the company chain, like, Turner was its own thing. You know, they bought MGM, they merged with Warner, right? And then Warner, Time Warner Turner merged with America Online. It was at the time the biggest media conglomeration in the world. And it's legendary for being a complete and total failure, right? And then Time Warner kind of does its thing, and now they've merged with Discovery. Now it's Warner Discovery. It's WBD, mm -hmm. Warner Brother Discovery. So it's the same company, yeah. right? It's just gone through different iterations, and they've always been, there's one thing about Warner Brothers. They've always found a fascinating way to lose a lot of money when they should be making a lot more. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, that, that's, that's been in their history for, you know, since, since that merger at least. Yeah. Like even going before that, man, do you know the amount of money Warner Brothers has spent on unmade Superman movies? It's like a billion dollars. They spent on movies that never got made, right? Like this mm -hmm. is just the history of this company. It doesn't matter who owns it. It's always just chock full of stuff like this. So what we have here is we have WCW hemorrhaging money, right? It's a disaster. Did you, do you do you remember those early 2001 WCW shows? Oh yeah, brutal. They're fucking awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's some of the worst wrestling you're ever gonna find. So mm -hmm. here we are, and like. Fusion wasn't the like I said. Fusion wasn't the company. I'll even say this: they weren't the company that 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 Warner that uh, Time Warner wanted to sell to. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so and, and we're gonna get into that. So yeah. you fast forward. To, you fast forward to March sixteenth. Um, Brad Siegel sent a message to the entire WCW staff. Said early January, we told you about an agreement that we had reached to sell WCW and its related assets. At that time, we said that we would apprise you of any changes to the way WCW operates. Effective Tuesday. March 27, WCW program will beginning a period of hiatus. They were canceled, right? Because Jamie Kellner just didn't want wrestling on the that's network, right? Not, that's, that's a myth. Well, Continue. Well, that's but, a myth. Well, that, but that's what's being reported at the right. time, right? Um, that, and that's, and I, probably that might be a myth perpetuated by Eric, one Eric Bischoff. Maybe, maybe I, that's the case. I, I know more, but continue. I'll, okay, I'll okay. Okay, you provide the, the context from the Nitro mm -hmm. book because I have not read that. Okay, and then from from Dave in the, the March 26th Observer, he said, even to the end, they couldn't be completely honest with their own employees. There is no hiatus, and by the end of the day, TBS Inc. publicly announced it would no longer air wrestling on its stations after a 29-year run. And his first major act as CEO of Turner Broadcasting, Jamie Kellner, who has always disliked pro wrestling, made the decision to cancel all pro wrestling programming. In doing so, it nearly ended negotiations and that had been rocky with Fusions uh, to purchase a company, a sale that was prematurely announced in January. Duh, prematurely, that's bad. Um, WCW President Brad Siegel and Eric Bischoff, so as to make it literally hours before the official consummation of the Time Warner um, merger. So, um, JD, give us more context about Kellner. Jamie Kellner was the guy who <clears throat> who found big success with the WB network, right? Yeah. Not a wrestling fan. Let's get that straight. But that's not 
that's not the, the reason. The reason the Fusion Media deal failed was because Fusion, in their negotiation with War- with uh, Time Warner, said they wanted in their contract that they controlled mm-hmm. the Monday Thursday time slots. Yep, that's what they wanted. That so they had it. They wanted it put into the contract that if Nitro and or Thunder were canceled. Fusion would control those two primetime, those four hours of primetime television and could air whatever they wanted to. So at this point, Jamie Kellner is like, well, fuck these guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's, and that's not problem. being reported. Yeah. And that's not being reported at the time. At no, because nobody knew that at the time, yeah. but that's yeah. what, that's what they wanted. That was the deal. Cause they, that, then there was thought that they really didn't even really want WCW to begin with. Cause like I said, venture capital, venture capitalists don't make money until they sell the corporation. Yeah. Right. That's what they wanted. They're they're you know like this, this, this there was vulture capitalism, right? You just pick off the bones of what's already dead. So they wanted to. They would have bought WCW, built it back up, and sold it. And if that didn't work, they would have the time slot that they could do with something else with, and they could sell that later. Because they weren't mm-hmm. a production company. They were just no. looking to flip. They're like house flippers. Like these people yeah. now that have these shows, buy a house, fix it, buy a shitty house, fix it up, sell it, make a bunch of profit, move on, do it again. These fusion people, the reason Eric Bischoff wanted them is because they could make a bad sports background and they knew how to make how to how to bring make a lot of money quickly. And Eric mm-hmm. Bischoff would have been in charge, right? But it wouldn't, I mean, like the the, the structure wouldn't have been there. The real thing was that we talk about Brad Siegel. You know who his college roommate, his college fraternity brother was? Who's that? Bix and Chris Zellner talk about this a lot. Jerry McDivitt? No, Stu Snyder, president of WWF at the time. Oh, okay. Well, I was pretty close. (laughs) I knew it was somebody from WWF, yeah. They were, Time Warner wanted to sell to WWF in 2000. Yeah. Vince was ready to buy. However, they had just signed a new deal with Viacom, right? Because that's when WWF had jumped from Viacom to the national network, which became Spike TV, right? Mm -hmm. Brace for impact, Spike TV. This is where that whole thing starts. The problem was the contract they signed with the, they as in WWE, they signed with um, Viacom, said they could not air wrestling on competing networks. So W like Warner Brothers is perfect. Like their ratings are are not great for Nitro, but and we talk about AW in the context of television at the time, they were doing well. Yeah, but they, were they weren't. Good. They weren't beating Raw. So we look at they are failed, failed. They were still better than most of what was on TV at the time. I don't have like two thousand one yeah. ratings <clears> in front, but I'm telling you. It was they were beating them, but they were still doing very well in the overall competitive landscape of cable television in 2021. So ultimately, all all AOL Time Warner wanted was they wanted the financial burden taken off of them. Yeah, because it was bleeding money. It was hemorrhaging. And they they felt like if they could bring somebody in to right the ship and they wouldn't have to be financially responsible for it, they could just air the program. But what and Mike, what happens during mergers? Discovery. no, no, just cover these companies that are trying to merge. They try to get rid of things that aren't, that yes. aren't good. Dead weight. They try, yeah. they try to cut the dead weight. WCW was the dead weight, but they still want, like, it wasn't like it was hurting the network. Like it wasn't great at the time, but there was lots of times during the, during the existence of WCW on the Turner networks, ratings would go up, ratings would go down, ratings would go up, ratings would go down. 
like mm-hmm. they weren't looking to get rid of it so just something like oh my god jamie kellner hated wrestling isn't the truth they would have sold to wwf in a heartbeat in a heartbeat and the original plan was they were going to keep nitro and thunder on turner it would just be yeah. owned by vince that was the plan and that's what would have happened a year earlier had the vibe if, if they were still on usa there's still a good chance that might have happened Mm-hmm. But because they're on Viacom now, they're on national network. Now it can't happen. That is what changes everything. So they bring in these fusion guys and they start basically trying to scam them out of the time slot. So they aren't interested in WCW. They want the time slot. And then Jamie Keller's like, fuck this. This isn't worth it. I really don't like wrestling all that much anyway. Whatever. You know what I just yeah. learned today? You know what I just learned today about Jamie Keller? One year after this, Andrew McManus, I credit, I learned this just today from uh, Bixen Span and Chris Zellner's Between the Sheets podcast. They were just talking about this. Kellner and TBS took a meeting with Andrew McManus's World Wrestling All-Stars out of Australia. They were talking about putting wrestling back on TBS a year after WCW. That didn't happen because that promotion was a shit show. But they at least entertained it. Oh, and that guy was a crook. <laughs> yeah, kind of, yeah. which is why the meeting didn't go anywhere. But, I mean, yeah. if if you hate wrestling so much, you aren't even going to take that meeting, right? Yeah. yeah. It's like it's 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 an apocryphal story that probably, again, credit to Bix, probably came from Jim Barnett. Yeah. That's probably well, the source then, of that, of that, yeah. of that Jamie Kellner hates Jamie wrestling. Kel- that's why it did. Well, and you then know? here – so here's here's why – so this is being reported in the Observer. Now you got to keep in mind the context of the time. Mm-hmm. Dave Meltzer and Eric Bischoff were friends. Not I wouldn't say friends, but they talked. Right, they talked friendly at the time. They talked. Yeah, they talked friendly. He used to do the Wrestling Observer Live and all that stuff. The different radio shows that they had. So here, so you got to take a look at the context of the time. So this is what Dave's reporting, and I'm and reading this. It makes it sound like it's from the Fusion side. So Fusion found the company in far worse financial state than they had been led to believe from the original projections made by Time Warner. Fusion then backed away from the original $75 million purchase price and made an offer of $48.7 million. That sounds to me like, hey, they, they threw that $75 million like offer out there, and that was just to be able to get access to all the records, and mm-hmm. then with the goal that they were going to lowball them you know, 100%. the entire time. Yeah, the, the the whole goal was to here we're going to entice you with this with this offer, and then we're going to come in and lowball you, which is kind of what Elon Musk tried to do with Twitter, um, and then because he, he went in with this crazy offer, right? Got then got discovery, opened up the books, and then tried to lowball them after that, and I think they negotiated somewhere in, in the middle. So that's typical. That's typical stuff. So after a decision made by Kellner, who believed the pro wrestling not to be upscale enough programming that might be coming from bishop or jim barnett no that's, it. No, no that's that's press release jamie keller actually no. did say that because this oh, is okay. the time this is like this is when tnt brands itself as the drama network and tbs brands itself as the comedy network because this is when they get all tbs is no longer a superstation now it's yeah. just a cable network and the turner network this is this is how they were going to redo themselves because now ted's out of the picture turner in itself is not really a thing now it's just a all-time warner so they're like and at the time you know it was like how do we make these networks differential how do we have them stand out let's just do this and with the pain in the ass that wcw had been they're like you know what this doesn't fit what we do and it never did they never did fit what tnt wanted to be ever they were pit the, the tnt people that worked for ted were like we don't want this this isn't our net this isn't what our network is about this is what tbs yeah. is about not tnt and then it wound up yeah. being their highest rated show and they're like 
Oh, I guess this is this is what we're about. <laughs> yeah, no. yeah. Um, so Fusion officially backed out of the deal for good on March 20th after a de- desperation attempt to finalize a solid television deal on Fox after two days of meetings um, in time, which without TV made it economically imprudent to put together a strong enough bid. Fox has negotiated with Bischoff on and off for more than one year, but the deal never finalized. Um, I had some notes in there about Vince, but you had already you covered it beautifully, actually. Um so, and then at this point, so this is a note from Dave. So this is back in March. It said, there is also the chance that McMahon would pick and choose who he wants for a minor invasion angle, which would leave the majority of the wrestlers announcer and office personnel out of work. So, um, and then now we go, we fast forward to April 2nd, 2001, the WWF officially purchases WCW. Um, this is from the observer, the purchase of world championship wrestling by WWF entertainment this past week, combined with the ending of all wrestling programming on the Turner networks changes the entire landscape of pro wrestling industry forever. The final night, the final episode Wait, of nitro. Why was that true? Yeah. The final episode of Nitro, at least on TNT, the show which forever changed television wrestling from the squash match interview format to the idea of weekly blowout, almost pay-per-view-like shows, started with the almost surreal image of Vince McMahon addressing the audience after purchasing the show. Um, so, yeah, we, we got the official announcement, um, you know, d- right before the final Nitro. I think, I think rumors were about Friday, and then they made the official announcement, and then, boom, it was like legit, legit whenever we saw Vince McMahon on WCW television for the first time. It was one of the most incredible things I'd ever seen. I <clears throat> show my age here. I taped it. Yeah, me too. I, I literally got a tape. I still have I, it. I think I do too. I think it's in my collection of VHSs in the, in the crawl space. Yeah. Um, and I labeled it. The first ever, this is what I the first ever WCWF show. Because in my head, I had that's what it was going to be. And I, I, I labeled it, I, I labeled it because WCW was pissing me off for so long because it was so bad. And I was such <laughs> a was big terrible. fan of it. I was such a big fan of it. And I was like, God, well, Vince, please take care of this company over and, and make it better. Mm-hmm. I, I labeled it because, you know, you had the little sticky thing oh, yeah. right on the Sharpie. That's what so I did. I made sure to. I made sure to get the EP right, get the extended play six hour deal. Um, mm-hmm. I wrote the greatest night in wrestling history because I had both raw and nitro on the same tape. I did from too. that night. Yeah, I did the exact same thing. And I was like, cause I know I'm like, this is going to be the most important night in wrestling history. And yeah. it still kind of is in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, and not for anything good. Cause I was, a, I was under the impression naive. Cause I was 20. I had just turned 21. And like I was under the naive impression that they would just run WCW, right? But do it better, right? I thought everyone was going to come with and it would just, it would keep the company going. And it would be like, oh, you have these shows and it would be like WCW will just exist. It's just going to be, it's going to be great. It's going to be this one giant company. Everyone's going to be awesome. Boy, I wish I was that young and <laughs> yeah yeah and you know what but you know we were you were 21 i was i it, this is april i was turning 18 i believe the same thing but you're you're not the only one so you know on the, on that big on that television show they had the big television angle to close out the show where vince is in cleveland and, and shane shows up at panama city and the storyline goes vince had the wcw deal ready to be signed but insisted that turner deliver the contract himself to uh, such a great uh, promo by vince uh, vince vowed upon signing that he would would close down the company and fire all the 
wrestlers, but then Shane shows up in Panama City and said that he um, actually had bought the uh, bought the company right from under Vince's nose. Um, and then we and then the the show ends, and then we get the big WrestleMania uh, music video, which was great. Um, and then um, WCW was made an underdog and survived and portrayed in babyface light, but not the uncool babyface light. It was portrayed during the NWO. So they were trying to make WCW look cool with Shane taking it over. Right. It was like a young and hip thing. That's what they were trying to do during that show. Um, because the idea was that there was going to be a WCW relaunch. Now this is from the observer. Mm-hmm. I don't remember this stuff. Right. So I'm re- I'm reading this for the first time. Like, I, I didn't know that – like I knew there was an idea of a WCW relaunch. I had no idea, and I'm about to read it, that this was like a legit thing. So WCW's relaunch was set to air on June 9th from 11 to 1 a.m. Saturday nights on TNN. The company was going to be run with a budget with concern for the bottom line. Kevin Dunn and Jim Ross were putting a roster together. Um, WWF had only purchased low-end contracts and left the high ones for Turner to pay out. So they didn't pick up the deals of the likes of Flair, Luger, Sting, DDP, Scott Steiner, and most notably Goldberg. So keep in mind, this is April, right? So. Mm-hmm. We're not we're not into the summer yet. Um, top WCW stars had guaranteed deals with Turner that WWF would not match. Stars would have to accept buyouts in order to take a lower paying deal. Um, WWF opted not to sign Hulk Hogan, who was a free agent at the time. I didn't know that either. I thought he was still getting Turner money. So uh, really, his contract had, had, had already expired at that point. So they could have brought him in at any point. Um, but the people they did bring over right away, they had these 90-day rollover deals that were kind of like mid to low end were, were Lance Storm, Mike Awesome, uh, Q Morris, Stacey Keebler, and some other folks. Um, and so, yeah, so they were they were, they were were big negotiations. Time Warner was feeling the WWF will have to at the end pick up at least a few more big contracts, which um, which we'll, we'll get into a little bit later. Um, but here um, – here, so this I thought this was interesting, JD, and I want to get your comments on this. So there's two things. So the only major name who hasn't contacted WWF at all that there may have been interest in is Steve Borden, aka Sting. The belief is from WWF is that he has no interest in wrestling any longer, uh, and as most who worked at WCW <laughs> recognize, he's had no real interest in wrestling for quite some time. And in many ways, the product is a contradiction to his beliefs. And is content to collect his money owed. So yes, yeah, Sting never going to wrestle again in two thousand. Yeah, two thousand one. Sting <laughs> never. I didn't. I did not actually see him flying off a table a couple weeks ago at the <laughs> yeah, age of sixty-five yeah. or sixty-four. Um, yeah. That's hilarious. But I, Sting talks about that he wouldn't. And this we will get into why he said it later. But he yeah. had zero interest in WWE until yeah. he did. And I think in retrospect, I think he's kind of like, yeah, I was right. Yep. So. So basically, so what we get what we get to is that the the there was going to be a WCW relaunch. So we're not and we're gonna we're gonna get to like another big announcement that happens later, right? But at this point, they purchased the company. It's Vince's company, and the plan is is they're gonna have a relaunch, a separate WCW show on TNN at 11 p.m. on Saturday nights. Which, if you fast forward about Five years after this, that's the exact same time slot on Spike TV that TNA got. <laughs> so that, that was their, hey, we're going to test something out kind what of time co- slot. What a coinkening. I think it actually yeah. becomes, oh, God, uh, shoot, confidential. 
Yeah, I think I think they did have confidential. That's what um, that's what airs. So, what did you know about this? Because like, I was not an I was I'm not an observer reader until I was in my forties. To be honest with you, I was reading like your one wrestling. That your yeah. uh, your ooh, I can't remember all the websites I went to. Wrestling I, Inc. at the time, like uh, I I was a one wrestling guy. So this is would have been before PW Insider, and there's yeah. a site called Lords of Pain. That I used to frequent um, that would basically kind of like ag- it was an aggregate site, kind of like a wrestling ink, but I did. Mm-hmm. So I was more one wrestling and uh, Lords of Pain back in the day. Um, so, yeah, I, I but I didn't know that WCW was going to be launched as its own. So like, oh. like there was I knew there was talk of it, but I didn't know that like their, the plans were set. Like they had a time slot, they had an idea, they're putting together a roster. I didn't. So at that at this time. I, I didn't know that that was like, hey, we already have a plan. We're gonna have a separate show. Yeah, I mean, they were. T- I I listened. I used the first wrestling quote unquote podcast I listened to was Live Audio Wrestling, right? Yeah. The original Law Show, you know, uh, Dan Levransky and those guys out way back then, and they would. This was talked about because again, everyone talks. Everyone talks about Dave stuff, right? Everyone's just yeah. parroting Dave. <clears throat> Nothing's changed. So like everyone was kind of expecting this to happen is when is it going to start? And I was super geeked for it because um, let's be honest, post WrestleMania, it was a 17. Creative is not that great, man. No, no. And that, that's a big problem. And as I'm reading through some of these observers, like, and you got to take, remember at the time, what else was going on in 2001 in WWF? Mm-hmm. They had the Steve XFL. Up. The X, oh, yeah, that's right. The XFL, yeah, which is taking the, the uh huh, which is taking yeah. the majority of Vince McMahon's energy, which is why the creative is pretty good going into WrestleMania 17. Yeah, because Vince then, isn't it, paying attention, right? But then, WrestleMania at WrestleMania 17, they make one of the biggest blunders in the history of their company. <clears throat> they turn Steve Austin heel, yep, had him align himself with Vince McMahon, and then Triple H gets hurt, right? So they lose Triple H. So they have, and then all of a sudden now, like, well, not only ahead. that, because remember, they had the two man power trip, right? The original yeah. two man power trip, Triple H and and Steve Austin. And yep. do you remember who's who were the two baby faces they had stand against them? Jericho and Benoit. Jericho and Benoit. H yeah. tears his his hamstring, and then Benoit fucks his neck up, and yeah. that lost TLC match. Right. Yep. And he's on the yep. shelf after that. He had neck fusion surgery. So all of their creative is basically going to shit at this. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark until now. Introducing slab packs from Arena Club. The only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club 
You get a display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the Slap Pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great Slap Packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club Slap Packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network wait mm-hmm. rock's and gone t- rock's making scorpion king yeah, so the Rock's making Scorpion King over the summer, um, and they they have this new influx of talent, and they don't know what to do with them nope. because this deal just comes in, and we've talked about it in AEW's had this issue, and 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 Impact's had this issue recently, where hey, this talent comes available, you want to bring them in, but you don't have a complete plan for them, but so you just bring them to television, and they're not quite doing anything for a little bit, and so now they had all this new talent, and they're having to rewrite everything. And keep in mind, they have the XFL going on. Bruce Pritchard's got like seven jobs, mm-hmm. and he's like one of their top creative. And Stephanie McMahon's the head of creative at the time, so just absolute chaos. And the bomb, uh, and Steve Austin turning was a complete bomb. Ticket sales are down, ratings are going down. There, there's no competition. It's bad time for WWF. And, and not only is the XFL going on, but the XFL is a joke. Yes. Right? It's a punchline. Like Jay Leno was telling XFL jokes every week. Like the first, mm-hmm. the ratings for week one were actually really good because everybody was going to be like, what is this going to be? Right? So yeah. they all thought, oh, man, we did it. We, spring football, it's a thing. By week like four, it's a disaster. Just like <laughs> it's... it's- just like it's always is and always will be. The XFL is never going to work. You need to stop making fetch happen. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. <clears throat> it's it, this is actually this is the end of the boom, right? Yeah. You can you can this is it. right there. And this this is, this is the this is the beginning of the decline of pro wrestling. Like for the next. 20, like 20 years. years yeah yeah so this is 2001 we're in 2023 where it looks like we're starting to be back on the upswing of having a blue period years. so 20 a 22 year year over year every single year decline at least in television ratings now revenue is up with you know television revenue because the business changed business um, but now but now you know we're we're seeing that spike back up. Um, I, I thought this was interesting, and we're get, this is like a little cliffhanger for later in the show. But Dave mm-hmm. says, um, with the talks of the WCW relaunch, says due to a lack of headline talent available outside of W outside of Rob Van Dam, who WWF has no interest in, 
uh, it's imperative to send WWF talents to WCW. So Dave's already like talking about like, hey, because they can't get the Goldbergs and the Stings and the Lugers and all these other guys because they're going to sit at home and collect their Turner money because they didn't pick up those checks, right? Because mm-hmm. what they purchased was the IP, right? And then they purchased specific contracts and then which contracts they didn't purchase, Turner is just going to continue to pay out until they expire. Right, because that because they were guaranteed deals. WWF didn't want them on guaranteed deals because they didn't do guarantees at the time. Um, so um, now they're like, "Fuck, we bought all this stuff. We want to do a WCW relaunch, but it's going to cost us way too much money to bring in all these guys. We're not going to get them right away. So now, now we're stuck." And then we fast forward to April 30th. Observer: A second announced delay in the relaunch of WWF's new property, World Championship Wrestling, has caused a lot of talk within the business. WWF canceled all announced dates and at press time there was no timetable for a relaunch. So even a week later, like the week before June 9th, it's going to happen. And then by the following week, okay, pause on that. We're still going to do it, but we don't know when. And we're we don't have like the tour dates are not set, all this stuff. Um now 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 the new show might be off the table, but we're going to get into it. But then we get to the um the first ever, the first shot fired in the invasion of w, from w, of WCW into WWF. Who was the very first WCW wrestler to invade WWF? Is that a question for me? That's a question for you, yeah. That would be one Lance Storm. Lance T. Storm, and the T stands for Thunder. Sure. He was the first sure. wrestler to appear on Raw. He did a run-in throwing a thrust kick on Saturn. And what? To buy about a thrust kick? It's a super kick, my friend. It's a super kick. Yeah. Yeah. Pro Uh, wrestling (laughs) podcast 2023. We call these things super (laughs) kicks. Kick on Saturn and missed by about six inches because Lance always wrestled a little soft. (laughs) So, but he he kicked him, uh, hit him with a shot, and then took off running and he met uh, Shane outside the arena. So, um, the the WCW invasion is on. I remember being super excited seeing Lance Storm on here because I was always a big fan. Jumped out of my seat. Lance Storm is a highlight of 2000 WCW. He's the last like guy they brought in and gave a really good, like a strong push to. Like he, I got to give Vince Russo credit for how hard he actually pushed. I Lance agree with Storm. That. That's the and, best. And Storm hates Storm hates Russo by the way, but that was the best push well, of his career. Well, wouldn't you? Like I think I don't think anybody really likes Vince Russo, yeah. but yeah, he well okay. Let look. He put the 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 U.S. title on him. He re, has him renamed it the Canadian title. He puts yeah. the uh, the TV title. I forget what he called the TV title. Oh, the cruiserweight. He put the cruiserweight title on, and it was like the hundred kilogram title. Yeah. And then he puts the hardcore. And this is the dumbest shit. Literally, yeah. the Saskatchewan Hardcore International title. The shit. I mean, like, I get. I mean, like, they're pushing him, but because it's Vince Russo, it's got to be fucking stupid, yeah. right? Yeah, you can't. So, you can't just push him and make him a bad motherfucker. You got to throw dumbass stuff in there the whole right. time. Right. But it was the original um, Team Canada, I believe, was Lance Storm up there, I and mean, like, yeah. he gave it to Elix yeah. Skipper, and I forget who else he gave stuff to. Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Oh, that's uh, right. They shaved Hacksaw <laughs> Jim Duggan and made him Canadian. God, Russo sucks. <laughs> He's the worst. He's the worst. What is- idiot yeah. um and then and then mike awesome was also in that group um and then uh what's her name uh major idiot. guns the the blonde with the Tyleen chesticles buck. yeah Tyleen buck yeah famous video star from the mid-2000s early internet video star <laughs> i may have i may have for research purposes have seen a couple of those things um yeah <laughs> you wonder why that company went out of business like it was so <laughs> awful they were feuding with the misfits in action Golly. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Uh, speaking of the misfits in action, dude, uh, Lance June... was fired up, dude. I was just gonna say yeah. this before you go on. Lance yeah. is so like it's the most personality I think he ever showed on TV. He hits that mm-hmm. misses the super kick, but he hits the super kick, runs back, Shane, and he's like, yeah, like I, I just remember like, wow, Lance, I've never seen that much fire from Lance Storm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the following week, speaking of misfits in action, Hugh Morris, um, with the new WCW logo and music playing and and in gear, did a run in during the Kane and Edge match, did a moonsault, landing with his knee braces right on Edge's ribs, and then Kane got the pin, and then of course he escaped. So, um, and then we fast forward. Oh, go ahead. He was Hugh Morris, not General Hugh G. Rection at that point, right? They let him be Hugh well, Morris again. Yeah, well, apparently Vince has class. Um, because yeah, he was he was Hugh Morris. <laughs> I want you to think about the sentence you just said. And Wait, dude, we'll I I highlighted I highlighted something in bold and underlined it to make sure that I I say it out loud a little bit later when I'm when I'm going through a lot of this stuff. Now I have to look um, at this. Okay. Oh yeah, you'll 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 see it. So we're we're down. So SmackDown notes for six seven. So uh, so. The the seeds were being planted that this invasion was not going to be taken seriously, and they were, and you could tell early on. So this is in June, right? Undertaker and Kane segments where they had dialogue was all bad. There was no possible upside of them insinuating whomever was going to do the WCW run in was scared off by the Undertaker. This is Dave's opinion. The invasion should be the number one angle of the year for the company, and it has not gotten off to a very good start thus far. So they, they're doing their run-ins, but uh, the WWF guys are treating them like geeks. Um, and then yes. in the the June 18th Observer, so there's they're negotiating with DDP. Uh, he's got, he actually signs a deal at this point. He's trying to keep his deal quiet, but uh, Booker T. Canyon and Bagwell uh, had all signed, and Dreamer and Rob Van Dam had been signed. And then Raw on 6-11, Tess did an interview saying he was interested in going to WCW. Nobody cared. Thus far, everything they've done with WCW hasn't done a thing to make anybody interested. Um, so, yeah. So, like, it just not – it just really isn't getting off to a good start. As much as I love Lance Storm, one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. And I, I was a fan of Hugh Morris, too. I always thought Hugh Morris was a he really was good. good wrestler. He was good yeah. wrestler. Um, we get those guys, right? And then still, we don't have the DDPs in the flesh. So so they're not being treated like big deals. They're being treated like geeks. And then now they're already starting to incorporate you know, WWF wrestlers going in to try to make the WCW guys look better, right? It's – I don't know what they were thinking. Right, because from from jump, and I like Lance. I don't think starting with Lance is a bad move, but they made him a mid-card faction immediately. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll go the night after the invasion, or the the Survivor Series angle. Flair makes his debut. Right, the very next night, they needed him. Yeah, that's who yeah. they needed to lead this thing. Not Shane McMahon. They needed yeah. Ric Flair. And you could have gotten Ric yeah. Flair. Ric Flair will do anything to be on television. Like, yeah. But so the problem with Ric Flair is he was making all that money from Turner. And he's, he's, he, he was but battling. He's there, but he's there in November. We're in yeah. April. So they're waiting. They're waiting for his deal to expire, and they couldn't hold off time because they wanted to strike with iron. It's hot. Now I get. I get it. It would have been better if they had Flair. What they should have, but they should have ponied up the cash to to actually make it worth Flair's while. Yes. Um, But because um, Flair and I I had the note earlier, but I skipped over. So, but Flair. it had been reported that he was battling his inner self, saying, "Hey, do I want? Do I want another run?" 
or you know, do I want to sit here and take all this money? And if I do another run, I have to accept pennies on the dollar for what I'm making just to sit at home. It's a no brainer. You sit at home. Right? I'm going to tell you this, right? For a normal human being, you are 100% correct. If you fly Jim Ross to Charlotte, North Carolina, to have an, a conversation with his good buddy, the nature boy, he would have had flair back there the next week. I, I agree. And and if they made it financially worth his while, 100%. Because they did it anyway. That's the thing yeah. is half, these, half the guys that they didn't – the reason why I find this to be such bullshit is because they all come, every single <laughs> one of them. Well, they, they come but when their Turner deal is expired. Not when they're all done of them. sitting at home. Not, collect, no, not all, not well, all look, of them. Look, DDP and, and Booker T would be exceptions, but – and Luger obviously never came, but Steiner, they he didn't come until him. after his stuff no, was no. expired. Uh, Kevin Ash didn't come until after his stuff expired, you know. You know what I mean. And then, um, and then Goldberg came in two thousand and three, and that was but, you know around the time his stuff expired. That was when his stuff expired. Yeah, not all of them, but again, the effort wasn't put in. How was this yeah. supposed to succeed? How? Yes, and and that and that was that was the problem. It was doomed from the beginning from the because beginning. you got WCW, you got the logos, but you got none of the big stars. The the first big star that they get, the first was, thing they was, do is redesign the logo. They didn't yes. even use the logo. Well, because WCW was a dead brand, right? And so you you got the name WCW, but they're trying to, they tried to jazz it up and spruce it up. And put they it tried to make hip, it, you know they, I mean? but that's why it fucking failed. Yeah, they tried to, yes. they tried to not have WCW. Like at yeah. no point does it look, smell, or feel like WCW. All they needed was one main eventer, right? And Hogan smartly sat out because you're right; they could have gotten Hogan, and Hogan was like, "No, nah, I got this this lawsuit thing, brother, with with the company. I'm just gonna," because he knew it wasn't gonna work, and he knew, mm-hmm. and like, it could have. All you needed was like one other main eventer. They got DDP, and they immediately destroy him, which we'll get into. Well, that. And but the, I mean, and that well, and that was the next that was the next bullet point here. So Raw on six eighteen, DDP invades Raw. Page unmasked as the stalker. So they had this whole angle where somebody was stalking Undertaker's wife, and nobody knew who it was. I personally, I was reading the sheets at the time. I did not know who that it was going to be DDP. So I lost it whenever I saw it was Diamond Dallas Page. It really caught me off guard. Um, crowd popped real big for that. I think they they were they weren't thr- they were thrilled that it wasn't Paul Bearer or Vince or Kane. Page then did a long interview to no reaction. So boom, he was dead in the water immediately because he's trying to do a character that he just that doesn't work for for Page. Um, and then um, why later, did it, later that week go ahead? Why did why did it fail? Why did Diamond Dallas Page fail? That man, that man, if there's one thing he was good at, it was getting over with the crowd. Why did that fail? Because you brought in Diamond Dallas Page as this stalker. By the way, this is WWE's version of the Black Scorpion. Yes. Because it, yes, made, yes, it, it made it made absolutely no sense to have it be DDP. Yeah. He's stalking the Undertaker's wife. And I'm gonna sound real chauvinistic here. Diamond Dallas Page was married to Kimberly Page at the time. So him stalking The Undertaker's wife, one, by 2001 television standards, was not believable because of... And they they didn't really have the history. But that's the thing, is if you knew who Diamond... If you knew who Diamond Dallas Page was, you knew he was married to Kimberly. This person that showed up on WWE television was not DDP. No. Well, Be- and, well and they were trying to make him a sadistic type of thriller character 
when DDP is best at being DDP. Yes. Right. And so they brought him in and they didn't let him be who he is supposed to be. And then they bring him in as a heel. But WCW is supposed to be the baby face in the scenario. But so instead you bring him in and now you're getting him as a heel, a creepy stalker heel, which is not really something anybody wants to see from Diamond Dallas Page. You bring in Diamond Dallas Page, you want to see him be DDP. Right. Just self high five. You want to do the bang. You want to do the whole thing. You want to see Kimberly. You want to do all that stuff. Yep. But instead, we get we get a fucking stalker. Because Vince, and this is why this is why the whole thing is doomed to fail. Because Vince McMahon could never and will never admit that someone else had a good idea. He yes. had to put his spin on it. Right. Mm-hmm. He couldn't take the People's Champ DDP. Right. We had to make him. This stalk, I mean, the stalker character in one made no sense. Fans pop because they're like, hey, that's DDP. And then they by the end the of his prize, they yeah. pop for the surprise. But by the end of the promo, it's over. Yeah. Because it's not DDP. Yeah. But Vince can't admit that. Vince can't say, well, what WCW did with him worked, right? We want WCW, but we really don't really don't want WCW. You know, we just want to save, you know, like they spent this money to get WCW and then went out of their way to make sure it was a failure. This is step mm-hmm. three in making sure that their grand experiment, the biggest, uh, the biggest angle they could have ever had failed. Because yeah. Vince is a genius, by the way. Let everyone tell you, Vince McMahon's an absolute genius. Well, and so the the DDP thing didn't work, but they could have gotten it back. It they was could've. some more work and DD, but by SmackDown that following Friday or thir- I can't remember, I think it was on Thursdays at the time. I think it was. Here's under here's Undertaker's response to DDP on SmackDown. He he does a promo. And he says DDP sucks as a wrestler. He wasn't good enough to be in the WWF and has half-assed talent and got over in a second-rate company that went out of business. If you guys want to know why the WCW invasion failed and why nobody cared about WCW when they came to WWF, it's because of shit like that. They It was doomed to fail from the beginning because that was the attitude of Vince and the wrestlers and the fans, right? And they started to perpetuate that on t- television. So now they're bringing over – look, DDP – Probably not a top five star, but a top 10 star in WCW, right? D- definitely in that top 10. In 1997, right? he's a top five star, 100 In 1997, 2001, probably probably a little bit lower on the on the totem yeah. pole, right? But still still a, a big star. Like, this is DDP. He was over huge. He was one of the top stars in all of pro wrestling world, in, like, 1997. World champion. Yeah, former world champion. They bring him in and said he sucks. He's not good enough to be in the WWF. Half-assed talent got over in a second-rate company. There you have it. Another sign that this thing was doomed to fail. It's never going to work. You know who was a half-assed talent that couldn't get over in the second-rate company? Mean Mark Callis? I was just about to say that. Mean Mark Callis. <laughs> yeah. But, then they, but he had the right creative mind for him when he got to WWF, and he right. got over. Got over. Like, is he technically a better wrestler than Diamond Dallas Page? I don't think so. Diamond Dallas Page is pretty fucking good. right? Mm-hmm. He wasn't the greatest, but he was really good. He had good um, matches and got people to care. Though, do you know yeah. why? Do you know why we have to see cutters on every some every single person that come out of nowhere every week on every television show because of Diamond Dallas Page? Yeah, because he perfected one of the greatest moves in pro wrestling history. Uh, I know he took it from Johnny Ace, but he he was he better really, at it though. He was better. He was the best at it. And he's still the yes. best. At it. Yes, yes. Yeah. He's one of the oh, Randy Orton hits him out of nowhere. Yeah, Dal- Dallas Page was doing that in 1996. Like yeah. The they 
they sabotage this from the get-go. And this because of stuff like this. How is it supposed to get over? That's wrestling any pro wrestler. And this is it. Like, I hear stuff about, oh, The Undertaker was just a great... I fucking hate The Undertaker. Always have. <laughs> Stupid does. laser light show. Yeah. God, I can't stand him. Because, like, if anyone else had cut this promo, he'd be like, you never draw money by shitting on your opponent, because then if you beat him, you just beat someone who sucks. Okay, yeah. dude, you just did that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so now it's doomed to fail, right? Fucking um, hypocrite, fast- dork, motherfucker. <laughs> God, I hate that guy. <laughs> fast forward to the 25th uh, Raw, uh, Mike Awesome invaded, and I loved Mike Awesome. He won the uh, the hardcore title, defeating Rhino. Afterwards, Vince claimed on television that Awesome raped him. Sorry. That that was the the thing that I bolded and underlined. I, I saw I saw in the notes. I was waiting till we got there. I'm like, oh yeah, it's a, uh, <laughs> some would call that ironic, some prophetic. Some would just say, well, the man, uh, hey, the man knows what he's talking about. Yeah, it's downright disgusting, is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's such a piece uh, of shit. God, he really, he really, he really. He These really are the is. worst human beings in the world. I hate. What a- God, I hate this company. Like the way people like beatify. These just horrible human beings. I, I can't. I, I can't stand it. Continue. Uh, this is from the July second Observer. So, this is something that really like I, I heard a little bit about this. I heard Dave talk about this before, like recently. Oh, probably within the last five years. Check this out. With the business at a crossroads, Vince McMahon made the ultimate ballsy move. Starting in just a few weeks, unless plans change, and they do on a daily basis. Sounds familiar. Yeah. Raw on TNN will be renamed WCW Raw. I that I was dumbfounded by that. Like, I heard, like, a little bit about that, but I didn't know, like, this was official. So TNN got the official word on June 22nd. McMahon had the basic ideas formulated many weeks ago of having one of the existing primetime shows be labeled as WCW brand and the other be a WWF brand. Negotiations fell through for the original 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. time slot on Saturday nights on TNN. McMahon said that he felt that even if those negotiations hadn't fallen through, that if WCW was given that time slot, it would immediately establish them as a secondary company. Well, he's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, the storyline idea is that when Shane gets control of Raw and that it will be a big prize because it signifies that in the end, Vince lost the all-important Monday Night War, not to Ted Turner, but to Shane, theoretically establishing him and his team as big key players or big players for the taking, the thing Vince worked the hardest away from him. WWF will use SmackDown as his primary outlet. Um, uh, so that that was huge. Like I, I didn't really know that – I knew that idea was tossed around, but they actually had legit plans. TNN was on board. Like this was going to be a thing. It's interesting. Like I, the one thing that I always hated about this was like that there was just by the end of this angle, it's ridiculous. It becomes because we had this in 2000, right? This this all every everyone had a McMahon in the corner at WrestleMania. Remember that? And they're yeah. just bringing it back and it gets worse coming up through here. But it just I personally was so over this Vince and Shane McMahon thing that it bothered me that WCW just became another vehicle for Shane McMahon. It right. was a prop. It was a prop in the McMahon storyline. Right. That's, that's what it. They they literally they bought an entire company and then you just use it as a fucking prop for a McMahon story. Like Vince is a genius. I keep getting told. I get told this like at least six times a week on Twitter. Like, what kind of an idiot does this? Oh yeah, Jim Crockett did it in 1987. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he didn't have the the thing that Crockett couldn't do that Vince could do is he knew how to 
he knew how to turn shit into money somehow. Like no matter what he, other than out, you know Vince. his outside ventures, he couldn't. But when it came to wrestling, it came to WWF. Like he can make money out of anything. This like, didn't make the money it should have made. The the invasion pay per view draws really well. But it they, does. I have I have the numbers. It's this really good. Sh- this should have been the biggest angle in the history of wrestling, and yes, it's not yeah. because of Vince McMahon. Be- because because of they- him. Because they couldn't get out of their own way. Mm-hmm. Uh, quick, just a quick note here that I, um, so there an Austin scare took place. This was fairly so. So um, Booker T invaded on the the King of the Ring and he put Austin through a table and popped Austin like popped like a maniac. Jumped out of my yeah. chair. King of the Ring tells yeah. me that's one where where Kurt Angle wrestles like a bazillion times and throws Shane through. By the way, Shane is feuding with Kurt Angle while this is all going on. Throws Shane yeah. through the plate glass window. Jumped out of. My so chair. I love I love that match and then Booker yeah, me T. Me too puts him through the table. He ends up hurting him. And then there's a bunch of heat on him for that. So, well, um, so there's a side story. There's so many, there's so many angles we could play in this and so many different rabbit holes. Mm. Quite crazy. Yeah. I mean, you're first time in the company. You can't take the number one guy and break his back. (laughs) No, you can't. No, you can't. This thing is Um, snake bit. This thing was absolutely snake bit from jump. And then right here is where it died. And it and it was never coming back. In this moment right here, this is from the July 9th Observer. Oh, Fans yeah. reject WCW on Raw. The first impression of WCW and the most important angle in the history of the business on January or July 7th in Tacoma was downright scary to the point reevaluation of the current plans have to be considered. The live crowd totally rejected Booker T versus Buff Bagwell match put on uh, as the Raw main event. One can blame Bagwell for putting on a bad performance and T for not rising to the occasion, but the crowd had already decided to hate it long before the bell rang to start the match. Loud chance of boring and this match sucks and Goldberg filled the Tacoma Dome, which is they never should have had it in, in Tacoma, by the way. But that, Hey, <laughs> hey we'll Mike. Hey, yeah. Mike, where was Raw at the next week? Atlanta. The hottest city for WCW ever. The Atlanta, home Baltimore, of WCW. Yeah, it was Atlanta, Baltimore, and Charlotte. Like that was, and Chicago were probably their, their top four cities, right? And they, they debuted them in Tacoma. Again, like you were saying, fucking genius Vince, right? Um, so the crowd booed every move by both wrestlers. Fights broke out in the stands. <laughs> Large percentage of the crowd was uh, streaming toward the exits while the main event was going on. Chance then started a refund and end the match with the only positive pop coming with, with what would normally be a grown spot when Austin and Angle did a run in to end the main event in only five minutes. Fans booed Shane McMahon when he came out and with the new lighting and new look for WCW when it takes over the raw time slot. If plans continue as they are, nothing had changed for a time. It is no doubt something will be talked about a lot later in the week. Wow. This whole thing killed it. Like the, it was never really off to a good start. It was off to a bad start from the beginning, but this move of putting them in the main event in raw in Tacoma, Washington of all places killed the WCW relaunch completely dead. I think it did it on purpose to be quite honest with you. I, I think, I think that's one. I think that's wanted to be right. I think in his heart yeah. of hearts, he's like a WCW sucks. And I'm going to prove it. Because if he had put it in Atlanta with Buff Bagwell and Booker T, it would have gotten over initially. Now, the match is fucking terrible. Yes. Right? It's not a, It's not very long, but it is boring. They changed, and this is weird, they changed the lighting concept. They're trying to show differently, right? The, the arena yeah. is lit differently for that match. They, they bring out new announcers. Arn Anderson and Scott Hudson, who had never I, I, worked together. 
No, and I have some notes on that too, but, but go, go ahead. Yeah, they never worked together. Arn was never an announcer. This is his first and only time announcing. Like, again, we want to get WCW. Well, are you going to get Shivani? No, we're, we're still mad at Shivani. Oh, okay. Are we going to try to get uh, Bobby Heenan? Nope. Mark Mark Madden? Nope. We're going to get Scott Hudson and we're, you know, Arn. Yeah. So Okay. More on that. So... So so they 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 had they had talked to Tanay they didn't want Tanay Tony Shivani yeah Tanay Tanay they didn't want Tanay Tony Shivani had accepted a job with the Atlanta Braves already so he wasn't coming in he was completely done so that left Scott Hudson um, but there was another guy out there out there in the ether because ECW had just gone out of business they actually negotiated to bring in Joey Styles who as we'll hopefully we'll talk about one day with uh, John Muse was supposed to be part of the Big Bang the announced team was supposed to be Joey Styles and Don Callis for the original relaunch of WCW under Fusion right so WWF opens up negotiations with Joey Styles um, at the same time they were negotiating they had in their back pocket they had Scott Hudson JD do you know what Scott Hudson does in his real life job you got a government job, right? He's a federal judge. Oh, I didn't know that. He's a yeah, judge. He's, he's a federal judge. And so he was working part-time as a federal judge when he was working in WCW. So he would only do certain gigs, right, As, as in, in Atlanta. Um, and when WCW went out of business, he was – you know, negotiating to go full time in his government job there in Atlanta, but he was also negotiating with the WWF. So he gave them a hard deadline and said, "Hey, you need to tell me by this date if you want me to come in, and I will come in and take the WCW gig." But they didn't tell him by that date. So they they they're banking on Joey Styles, but they were too far far apart on money. So they go back to Scott Hudson and they said, "Hey, we need you to come up to Connecticut for a week. This is prior to the WCW debut on Raw." Um, and we need you to come up to Connecticut for a week and train. Scott Hudson been an announcer for years at this point. So he gets up to Connecticut and he's like, guys, I'll train, but I'm not taking the deal. I'm going, I'm working full time at, at my other job, but I'll do raw this week. So they, they, they didn't even have a lead announcer. The color commentator was going to be Jerry Lawler, but they couldn't get that deal done either. So then they ended up bringing in Arn Anderson, but they, they wanted it to be Joey Styles and Jerry Lawler to be the WCW announcers. Those deals fell through. They ended up bringing in Scott Hudson, who doesn't want to work there either. And then they just plucked Arn Anderson and put him in that spot. The whole thing was fucking doomed. Doomed from the get-go. Like, yeah. here's the thing about Joey Styles. Joey Styles is the voice of ECW. They do yeah. get Joey five, four years later. Yeah. But he's not a WCW guy. Nothing yeah. about this is WCW. No, no. They, they, yeah, they, they totally just, you know, I, I think, can we say screwed the pooch? That just sounds so gross now. <laughs> but they screwed the whole thing uh, the, the entire time. Um, and then at the same time, so they brought in all the WCW wrestlers, like the lower end guys, uh, to train in Connecticut for a week to get used to the bigger ring. Uh, during that time, Buff Bagwell and Shane Helms had a fight. <laughs> so so uh, Bagwell continues to get heat on himself. He said, they said during the week, uh, him and Shane, they were training. Helms and Bagwell got into an altercation. The story was reported that Bagwell um, used to make fun of Helms and all the cruiserweights back in the day. Uh, anyway, he um, they ended up getting into a fight, and Helms got the better of hitting him with a with a bottle of ice. Mm-hmm. No, he something filled with ice, busted him up, requiring stitches before it was frozen cold, water so. bottle. I think it was something like that. Yeah, yeah. So that was a whole See, thing. Man. Buff Bagwell was getting hit in the face with a water bottle long before John Muse. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. That's John Muse's <laughs> next connection connection to the story. We will we will uh, yeah, we'll get we'll get the John Muse version of this someday. Um when he can when he wants to talk about it. Yeah, man. I mean, that actually endeared the future hurricane to the WWE locker room because we talk about mm-hmm. Vince not getting out of his own way with this story. There is a man who never could get out of his own way, who should have made a lot more money in this business that managed not to. And that would be one Marcus Alexander Bagwell. Yeah. Yeah. He ends up getting fired of the following week. He was late for all the house shows and just kind of didn't take it seriously. And they come on, don't bury it. Don't bury it. Don't come on. Would you like to tell the story? You want to tell the story that, that Judy Bagwell was calling Jim Ross and bitching about (laughs) stuff. And Jim Ross verified that. Yeah, that, that happened in the Observer, so I didn't have that note. But yes, yes, former, G- Jim- former WCW co-holder of the World Tag Team Titles, Judy Bagwell, <laughs> called Jim Ross to complain about stuff for her son Marcus, and that was yeah. pretty much a straw that broke the camel's back with Marcus Alexander Bagwell. Yeah, in the WWE, uh, his career died before it got started in the WWF. Um, so, so next, so the WCW thing is dead. At the same time, ECW has gone out of business, and they're in bankruptcy court. Right. And so Vince, in all his infinite wisdom, said, fuck it. I'm I'm relaunching ECW instead or not instead at the same time. I'm bringing back ECW. Now, Paul Heyman had been working there since earlier in the year. He had replaced Jerry Lawler on Mm -hmm. commentary and he had been dropping hints and things like that, kind of teasing and bringing up ECW as often as he could, because his hope, his hope the entire time was that Vince would buy ECW and then bring ECW back. Um, that's what's being talked about in these weekly observers. I'm not going to read verbatim exactly what was going on, but on the July 16th observer, one of the amazing weeks, one of the most amazing weeks in pro wrestling history saw the world wrestling federation abandon nearly all its plans for WCW and recreate extreme championship wrestling from the ashes in a story that truth be told in hindsight looks like the single greatest case of manipulation in the modern history of pro wrestling. That's saying a lot. Uh, the formi- the formation of ECW was decided upon, although there were moves and hints to do so uh, for some time. Late last week, after the realization that the current plans, as they were laid out, were going to be a disaster due to the reaction of the so-called WCW matches at the last week's television tapings in Tacoma. So here was the plan before the whole thing shit the bed. Vince and Linda were going to divorce in storyline, split all the assets down the middle with uh, – one getting raw, one getting WWF SmackDown. And then there was going to be a w- life would imitate art. Continue. E- yep. Uh, there was going to be a WCW WWF draft. There was even talk of bringing in Eric Bischoff. This is in 2001 for a short term feud with Vince, where Vince would eventually go over on him. Um, but the answer to the dilemma to save the invasion pay-per-view was to bring back ECW. The angle put the group back together, link it with WCW and combined forces with the idea that Stephanie McMahon had purchased ECW and the two children were planning on running their father out of business uh, as was an amazing concession to ego. Um, so uh, yeah, so team ECW was formed headed by Heyman and consisted of former ECW wrestlers, Taz Raven, Mike awesome, Lance storm, the Dudleys, Rob Van Dam, Tommy dreamer, and uh, just incredible. So JD, obviously this, this night is you have pretty vivid memories of it. Go ahead and oh, talk yeah. about it. Um, I was home, right? I had left Kyle the night before. I got a call from my dad that my mom had passed away. And uh, so I was home and just, I watched Raw on Mondays, right? So I watched this one and the show starts out with the ECW invasion. And 
it was not presented to us with what David talked about. When you're watching this show in real time, you are presented with ECW as a third yes. candidate in this whole thing. Yes. You are told at the beginning of the show that Paul has gone off the rails and he has brought ECW back and they're going to be the third option also so we are sold we are sold for this episode of raw that the rivalry will be wcw versus wwf versus ecw mm. and this did save it like for this hour this two hours i was all fucking in i'm like Same oh here. my god they're bringing because it was now unlike wcw you had the heavy hitters yeah. Right. You had the Dudleys. You had Taz. You had Raven. You had Tommy Dreamer. You had Rob Van Dam. I saw his last indie match a couple in Chicago a couple weeks before. Um, we see you go on WWF and he's like, and he just kind of, I don't know. He did a Rob Van Dam stoner <laughs> answer thing. So I was like, oh, he's going WWF. Um, yeah. You had all of those guys. Some of them were under contract already. So mm-hmm. it was right there. And now all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah. And then Heyman is there. I'm like, yes, this is it. Oh my God. Now we're going to have a three. It's every wrestling fan's dream at the time. And again, because it's WWE and Vince McMahon, they fucked it up by the end of the show. My, my mom was dead. So I'm like at the lowest I'd ever be in my life. And for an hour and a half, my heart is racing. I had forgotten about my problems and I'm just happy to be a kid watching wrestling. And I'm so excited, again, thinking about the future. And then fucking Stephanie McMahon, of all people, walks out wearing the stupid leather Kangol hat that her dipshit husband wears all the fucking time with ECW embroidered on it. And then she's got that dumbass look on her face, and she's in there now. And it's like, oh, it's there together. It's ECW and WCW, but it's really the McMahon kids because we can't get enough of this stupid-ass feud. I have never been more hot cold on a show in my life. And again, I have really bitter memories of this because it brings me to a, to a bad, bad place. But this absolutely for me, it didn't kill my interest in it, but it was the most dis seeing Stephanie McMahon's dumbass show up on that episode of raw was one of the most heartbreaking moments of popular culture I've ever experienced, because then it wasn't going to be about ECW. It wasn't going to be about WCW. It was just more McMahon bullshit. And I'm to this day over and I hear, here comes the money. And I'm like, fuck this shit. I still, (laughs) I still have flashbacks from 2001. This is a waste. You know what the biggest waste was? They even stopped calling it ECW and WCW and just call it the fucking Alliance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, well, because the alliance to end Hulkamania is that—that's the level of yeah. stupid it was. Well, you know, Fuck. Vince always goes back to World War II, right? That's where, like, all, a lot of his angles right. always go back to World War II. So, um, but yeah, so like, so ECW comes in, and now the WCW guys and the WWF guys are like, "Hey, what the fuck's going on with these ECW guys?" And they're worried about them. And then by the end of the show, ECW and WCW had aligned. Stephanie McMahon comes down in her stupid Kangol hat ruined parts of my childhood because I was such an ECW fan and I was so excited at the beginning of the show when I saw some of my favorite wrestlers like come down, like, you know, cause it, it started with RVD and Tommy dreamer and I was super excited to, to see an RVD was my favorite at like legit, my favorite wrestler at the time. And 
and I was finally getting to see them. And then, man, Taz and the Dudley Boys. I was such a big Taz fan, the ECW Taz. So, like, yeah, fucking A, we're getting this. Let's kill the WCW guys off and just have an ECW invasion. And that would be cool. But instead, they had to fuck it up. They had to put fuckery in it, right? You had to, it had to be another prop for a storyline with the McMahon kids because the Vince McMahon had been the only story that they were telling since 1998. Yeah. Is there any one singular human being that's more of the antithesis to the spirit of ECW than Stephanie fucking McMahon? No, yeah, it's 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 the worst. But you know who had great heat when uh, Mick Foley a few years late after that, the when ECW is getting ready to be relaunched, and Mick Foley turned heel. Right. And Mick Foley turned heel with Edge and he's going to be heel and they're doing the the one night stand, the second one night stand. Right. And he does this promo. And it's like, how do you get people to boo Mick Foley, who's been one of the most beloved characters in the history of wrestling? He goes out there and he's cutting a promo and he goes, I was a, I loved ECW. ECW was the greatest ever when it was owned by an innovator, a true brilliant person. One Stephanie McMahon. And then the crowd just boos his ass because that was one of the worst moments in wrestling. And he ended up using it to get heat later, and it was brilliant. <laughs> but it also works perfectly because Mick, because what was Mick Foley's big – when Mick Foley was a heel in ECW, what would he always do? He would praise Eric Bischoff. Eric Bischoff. Yeah. So that is actually – perfect if you're going to use a heel yes. Mick Foley on an ECW show you absolutely tap back into that version of the character Mick Foley yeah. is a genius unlike yeah. Vince McMahon uh, um, so we go to the next week so the ECW part of this is just so fascinating because WWF brought in ECW guys brought in the music brought in the logos brought in all the thing they didn't own any a of damn it. damn thing. No, didn't own any of it. So the story of Paul Heyman and ECW got even stranger this past week as the WWF continued the ECW storyline, despite the name and trademarks being owned by the bankruptcy court in White Plains, New York. WWF blatantly using the ECW trademark, ECW theme song, which is owned by Harry Slash and the Slash Tones, and ECW on lo- lo- logo on television and to promote the Invasion pay-per-view. This The WWF theory seems to be that they believe, because nobody else would want the rights anywhere near the same price, that they'll end it, they'll eventually end up with the ECW intellectual property and type, tape library. So because they feel they will own them, they feel they have the right, apparently, to use the IP, such as the name, the logo, the merchandise, to promote the upcoming pay-per-view and appear on the television shows. Some creditors are clearly up in arms seeing Heyman close uh, – close the company and then make a soft landing with WWF announcing and creative gig and restart the company's basic history and IP with the funding of the WWF to back it up while the creditors remain unpaid. Heyman in pulling off this swerve proved himself to be one of the greatest manipulators in this industry has ever seen, or simply someone who benefited by a series of coincidences. The WWF ends up purchasing ECW and bankruptcy court a couple months later, but yeah. <laughs> See, Vince has this like intellectual property eminent domain theory going on where, <laughs> yeah. you know, well, we're going to own it anyway, so we might as well. They did have to adjust the logo, right? Like in the, yeah. during this whole thing, they do slightly adjust the ECW logo just enough to get them out of trouble. But um, yeah, Dave's right. There is no, to this day... To this day, there is no greater worker, right, in a sense of a dude who works people, con artist, manipulator, than one Paul Heyman. <laughs> like, yeah. It's yeah. magnificent. The level of 
the level of bullshit this man this again this is months this is months after tommy dreamer plans on committing ritualistic suicide at wrestlemania by shooting himself and paul Heyman. he has openly talked about that that he really considered this and this is a dude that always man he's like a cat he always manages to land on his feet Mm -hmm. oh it's like and he always does it at the expense of other people too. Yes. <laughs> like he's he, never the one that gets screwed, right? When when Roman calls him the wise man, he's not wrong. Like No. No. That's you know. Yeah. <laughs> what else what do you guy. say? <laughs> so And he was um, smart enough and he was smart enough cuz I believe it's his pitch to say and Stephanie should own ECW cuz he was smart enough to align himself with someone who would never get fired. Genius. Yep. That genius. <laughs> that is a wrestling genius. Yes, yes. So the ECW thing, despite the fact that I didn't really care for them joining up with the oh, Alliance bad. and the whole thing, the the it does breathe a new life into this angle. Like the numbers start to reflect that, right? But there was something missing on the WWF side because you still got Stone Cold Steve Austin and Kurt Angle as heels because originally they're going to take on the, the Alliance. The Alliance were supposed to be baby faces. Then they, they go with, then the whole thing in Tacoma happens, everybody's shitting on WCW. So now the, the Alliance are heels. And so the WWF are baby faces in the storyline, but they've been presented as heels this whole time. So you got a heel, heel feud. So there's something greatly missing from this pay-per-view and that was a big time baby face to anchor the WWF side. So what do they do? They go back to the old stone cold and the old stone cold return. So both W so um, they, they go back to that. Well, so for an entire episode, they're doing pep talks, trying to get stone cold to become the old stone cold. And in the WWF locker room, um, the undertaker's doing a pep talk and they brought in Fred Blassie in a wheelchair um, great idea. Austin watching Blassie on TV from the bar snapped and drove to the building. Blassie got out of his chair and gave the WWF guys a pep talk. Ross was probably more valuable in his work on this angle than in any pay-per-view build. And in recent memory talked about how Blassie had worked for Vince's grandfather and father. Um, I, I loved that scene where Blassie gets up out of his chair and does the pep talk and then Stone Cold driving back to the arena. The main event was Undertaker and Kane versus DDP and Rhino. Um, it uh, ended in four minutes because uh, the bat, every, the Alliance ran in. They had a 15-4 and four advantage. Uh, Undertaker still never left his feet, of course, because he's not going to put anybody over from the Alliance. Okay. The show had been uh, built great because the fans blew the roof off for Undertaker and Kane since WWE finally showed vulnerability. But when Austin came out, of course, they blew the roof off even more, and I think Austin ended up killing 16 guys, including seven stunners, while Undertaker and Kane chokeslammed Dreamer and Chavo Guerrero Jr. The show ended with Stephanie and uh, Shane and Stephanie confronting Blassie, leaving the building in a wheelchair wheeled by Brooklyn Brawler. With Stephanie telling Blassie that she can't wait for him to die, so they had incredible fucking heat. Finally, got some heat and breathed in some life into this WWF invasion pay per view. Now this is after. Now Steve turns here, right? No, Steve. So he still- turned. So, oh wait, so so he turns babyface on this night for a hiccup. Okay, we're, yeah. we'll get it. We're, we're gonna get to that. It's reminiscent of the ECW turn from the yeah. week prior, right? Yeah. So he turns here, right? Because they needed a hook for the invasion pay per view, so they turned Stone Cold back to the old Stone Cold and babyface. So that's the big hook getting into the invasion pay per view. 
Um, so at this point, JD, are you back in or are you excited for this pay-per-view or you're like, oh, yeah, they had me. no, they had, me. okay. They, with Stone Cold, yeah. right? I mean, I don't love, I don't love it, but Steve Austin is Steve fucking Austin, especially at yes. this time we were like, I watched it. I bought the pay-per-view because again, me too. I'm, I, you know me, whenever, whenever we criticize him, I'm always like, well, we got to see it out before we shit on it. Like yeah. we gotta give it. I'm I'm totally that guy. Like we we gotta give it a chance. Like I'm never the dude to shit on something while it's going on. I'm totally a reflexive. Yeah, that was ass, man. But at the time, <laughs> I'm I, I've always been this guy. Eh, let's let's just let it play out. Let's let it play out. Yeah, yeah. Um. So we get to the the invasion pay per view, and here's some notes from the pay per view. The invasion pay per view on July 22nd from the Gund Arena in Cleveland appears to have been a major success based on three things happening. One, ECW is injected into the angle. Two. The booking of the interpromotional angle once head writer Stephanie McMahon and Paul Heyman were involved as characters suddenly got inspired. And three, they gave the fans what they wanted, the Steve Austin that sold tickets. Preliminary indicators such as attendance at, at the famous Players Theater, yada, yada, yada. Um, and, tele- and television ratings were up. They had a 5.35 rating, their best number since April. All positive signs of a turnaround. Regarding point three, Steve Austin, it was then taken away. The two most important things about the show were getting Kurt Angle over as a top babyface, which seemed to have been accomplished, uh, and the turn of Austin back heel um, after six days. <laughs> so there you go. I know Steve wanted to be a heel at the time, and we got some entertaining TV out of this, mm-hmm. but it's over at this point. Yeah, right. It's done. It's just it's just an angle. And this W and again it didn't it didn't work. It didn't work. Steve Austin is a bait is a heel, wasn't getting over. I maintain, I maintain the biggest mistake with all of this. If you're gonna go this route, he should not have been because he's not acting like stone cold at this point. Mm-hmm. He should have been stunning Steve Austin again. You know, they that that could have worked and made him a heel, but they were leaving money on the table by taking away that Stone Cold name. They were leaving money either. on the table anyway. Exactly. Exactly. They it, honestly, get, they never should have fucking pregnant. turned him. They yeah. never should turn him. Yeah. No, but they no. did, and he was just. But again, he wasn't acting like Stone Cold. It, it just this is this is the era we get what right. That's yeah. when this becomes the thing. Thank you, thank you for that, Steve. It's 2023, <laughs> so I gotta put up with that. Like, I, I maintain that they should have gone all in and taken Stone Cold away. Because again, by November, it's back. And again, I think you get a bigger moment if he's Stone Cold again. Because again, yeah, I don't think it I don't I don't think any of this quite worked, to be honest with you. And I think that history has proven me right. But yeah. Yeah. But the the show was successful. So the show drew 17,000 fans. Um for eight hundred forty-eight thousand is uh, eight hundred forty-eight thousand sixty dollars with, and then I, dude, I don't know. I was on a roll. I did the math. I went to an inflation calculator okay, with about, inflation. Just about to go to the inflation calculator. Continue with inflation. That's one point four million dollars in today's money. A that's a hell of a show. <laughs> yeah, that that that's a hell of a show. But um, it should have been. Yes, it should have been. It should like realistically, realistically, you probably could have done a stadium show with this. Again, they weren't really doing that in this era. But I mean, like WCW versus ECW versus WWE, like this should have been epic, epic. It was kind. It was all right. 
The show got a 50, 53% thumbs up from the audience. That's what I just only, said. It was all right. There was only one good match on the show. Um, I'm just going to run through the matches, and then we're going to call it a night here. But uh, we had uh, Edge and Christian defeated Lance Storm and Mike Awesome. Uh, two and a half stars. Um, <laughs> gosh, man. Earl Hebner pinned Nick Patrick. Because <laughs> we needed to see that. Because that's what we wanted yeah. to see. In the referees. Yeah. With Mick Foley as a special referee. So zero stars for that one. Uh, APA defeated Sean O'Hare and Chuck Palumbo um, in a battle of WWF tag team champs versus WCW champs. One star. Billy Kidman pinned X-Pac. I, you know, I, I, I had more high hopes for that match, but X-Pac match, was, at the time was not doing his thing, you know? He was not in a good place. No. Um, but he, uh, Billy Kidman was the cruiserweight champ and uh, Pac was the light heavyweight champ. So X-Pac, uh, not Pac. X-Pac, yeah. It's like uh, Raven, yeah. Yeah, Raven pinned William Regal uh, in six minutes, quarter star. Chris Canyon and Sean Stasiak and Hugh Morris defeated Big Show, Billy Gunn, and Albert in four minutes, quarter star. <laughs> so this is the state of the WWF at the time. Uh, Tajiri pinned Taz in five minutes. Um, star in three quarters. So there you go. We got, we're getting some stars back. Imagine, imagine saying that two years prior. In ECW, right? In, ECW. in the fucking yeah, People that that match would have been four and a half, five stars because they would have went twenty minutes and fucking tore the place down. And there's no but, way Taz would have lost. But yeah, no, yeah, it w- would have been incredible. Um, then this is where the show finally picks up a little bit. Rob Van Dam pinned Jeff Hardy in twelve this, minutes to win the hardcore title. Four stars. I fucking love this match. This, is a good this match. Was incredible, yeah. dude. And Rob Van Dam in the summer of two thousand one was on fucking fire, nobody, dude. Nobody was cooler. That guy yeah. got over because he showed up in WWE fans who I don't think really remembered him from the Mister Monday Night nineteen ninety seven stuff. No. Were like, this dude is cool. Yeah, right. There was something about Rob Van Dam that stood out amongst all this garbage because Rob Van Dam's awesome. Well, and he was doing moves that nobody else was doing at the time. He was like the most innovative wrestler that, that yeah. out there. He was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, next, we go to Trish uh, and Lita beat Tori Wilson and Stacey Keebler in a double broad panties match. Five minutes. Dave didn't even put stars. He said, awful. <laughs> Trish Stratus, is uh, her career is amazing. Like for all, the, yeah. all the garbage they threw at her over the years, and she always managed to overcome it. She's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and all four of those women went to the WWE Hall of Fame, by the way. Justifiably uh, so. They're all great. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And they had to deal with a lot of did. bullshit. Yeah. yeah. They did. A, a terrible time. A terrible time to be a woman in professional wrestling for all the bull. I mean, just looking at the at the shit they made them all put up with. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Team Alliance of the Dudleys, a Rhino, and Diamond Dallas Page and Booker T beat team WWF of, of Austin angle Jericho and undertaker and Kane in 29 minutes and three and a half stars. Um, and here we get to the, we'll get to the finish angle, knocked Shane out of the ring and gave Booker the angle slam and had him in the ankle lock. Booker was tapping, but no rough. Of course, Austin then made his miraculous comeback, throwing a uh, Mike Kyoto out of the ring, but then he then kicked angle and gave him a stunner, put Booker on top and ordered the ref to count. The show ended with Austin in the ring drinking beer with Shane, Stephanie, and Heyman. That's how they closed the show, and that's how we're going to close this show. With We're going to pick it up next time. Not a single WCW or ECW guy with the exception of Heyman in the ring. It just became another WWF angle. I yep. hate this shit. 
<laughs> yeah, it's kind of fun to look back on all the craziness. Oh, oh it and absolutely all, is. All, and all of the different little side stories that were happening behind the scenes is is incredible oh. with the purchase and the failed purchase and the ECW shit and everything that's going on. I love it. Yeah, this 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 whole show was like the forbidden back door. Like it's yeah. so it's just shit, man. It's it's like forbidden door if it was terrible. Like that's just how yeah. it came off. It's like <laughs> all these all these like they weren't dream matches, but they're like, oh yeah, those those are guys from different companies. Like it is definitely not what a fan if you told me a year earlier, we're gonna get a pay-per-view that's gonna be WCW, ECW, WWF. That is not this is not the show. <laughs> No. That I would have come up with. Oh, if you take a look at the main event, out of the ten, um, the ten people that were in the match, two were actually members of the WCW roster that had come over. It was DDP and Booker T. Because okay. the Dudley Boys were already in the WWF. Mm-hmm. Rhino was already there. Um, so no, it was eight. So eight. So it was eight man tag, not a ten man tag. But you, you get my point. No, oh, I hundred um, percent get your point. And like, but that's the problem is they didn't bring in any of the main eventers. Yeah, no, it was a ten man tag. Sorry, so Dudley's and Rhino. So that was three. They were already, and then the two yeah, were Booker T's. Yeah, yeah, so yeah ten man tag. tag. And then of course the five WWF guys. Uh, just just a, a wacky wacky deal. Like in, in my head, if you're gonna do a a dream ten man tag WCW versus WWF, you're looking at you know Goldberg, Sting, DDP, Ric Flair, and Lex Luger. You know what I mean? But instead we got these fucking clowns. But it is what it is, man. Vince McMahon's a genius. Ask anyone. <laughs> He'll tell, like, they'll tell you. Dude. Like, it, I, I look back, I was like, are we sure Vince Russo wasn't a part of creative at this time? If like, you look at it, it's got his fingerprints all over it. All over it, which just yeah. leads me to believe that, you know, Vince Russo's a lot more like Vince McMahon than most people want to admit. Yeah. Yeah. Or it's so easy to book his bullshit. They just replace Russo with another dickhead that could do Russo stuff. That's what they did basically <laughs> at the time it was actually stephanie stephanie was the head writer at the time and this yeah it sucks man like this should have been it, it drew because like the novelty right 100 percent right. the novelty should have drawn it yeah. should have and they gave you this half-ass minimal effort like pay-per-views from both major companies are so much better today everybody's trying really hard to have awesome mm-hmm. matches we didn't get that back then no, we just got we got fuckery all up and down, and then you fuckery. usually got like a good like a you know a couple good matches, but the rest was all fuckery. Just, got just one good never, match. yeah, get get yeah. We had one. Uh, the, I thought the main event was good. The angle was you know I didn't really like Steve Austin turning. I don't even know if it was good. I, I did, honestly, but yeah, it had sure. it had a ton of heat. I I, I really did I really did enjoy the main event, but the the Rob Van Dam and Jeff Hardy was was you know it's one of those things like it's worth a rewatch now. And it's only twelve minutes. Yeah, wrestling again. The matches were a lot shorter back then too. Like you didn't get like yeah. not everything was epic. But this is a show where stuff should have been epic. But again, what was yeah. what was there? Yeah. What was really? I mean, yeah. like remember we even skipped over like remember they brought Chronic in for a cup of coffee and then like oh yeah, well, Adams and Clark suck. Was that yeah, happening? I think that 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 comes out the next year. Yeah, that, uh, that, yeah, they they do that a year later. Oh, I thought that was during the invasion. No, that was that? not a part. Yeah, I think oh, you're all well, say, save that thought. Save that thought for the next episode. We're going to be doing part two. I think we're going to start it in August and we're going to try to close this thing out. Um, one day, I'm gonna, what, one day we're going to get John on the show 
to talk about what he would have done. Cause I've heard this story. I don't know if you have, but I've, I've gotten John muses. John got, and I don't want to tell John's story for him, but like, this is when he had, cause again, he was supposed to book the cruisers in WCW with Bischoff. And then they, they asked him those like to book his version of what this would be. And it's become like a legendary in circle in these, in our nerd circles is like, you know, the Jericho pitch, John's story would have been freaking awesome. And I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to paraphrase John's work, but like at some point I want to get him back on just to tell his story because yeah, man, there was a better version of this show happening. And thanks Stephanie McMahon. Then it didn't, she's a head, <laughs> she's a head writer. So I can blame her. Yeah. Like, cause yeah. this stuff was awful. This is our WCW uh, invasion of the WWF um, part two. Um, part one is in the archives. Uh, please go ahead and take a listen to it. Um, where we left off was the invasion um, pay-per-view um, from uh, from July of 2001. And it was mostly not a good pay-per-view. It had some fuckery, but it was a highly successful pay-per-view. Um, yeah, I like- think they, as far as the box office goes, um, in, in you know, they're in the audience and then plus on pay-per-view, which we're going to get into here in a little bit. Um, they, they hit a freaking home run, but like the, I guess the theme of this show was WCW invades WWF, but they do a poor job and WWF just kind of squashes them and ruins what could be possibly the greatest storyline in history. They're so dumb. Like, and it's not just them. Cause this same thing happened with UWF and the, and Crockett like a decade yeah. earlier, a little more than a decade earlier. Like the only place these invasion angles ever work is in Japan. And even then, it's not always perfect. Like, there's the the UWF invasion worked pretty good. The UWFI invasion worked out really well. That made a lot of money at first. But again, one company always has to be, it's always the winning company to wins of the yeah. real world, always smashes the other one. Like, I always thought it'd been so cool if they would have lost. And then all of a sudden, you turn into Nitro or Raw on Monday and it's Nitro. Yeah. And like, that would have been a yeah. great story. But again, it, they just. I don't know. Man. Well, they they just couldn't reconcile the fact that um, these people that they were bringing in here, um, they should have made it seem like they were equals, and they just mm-hmm. could not. They could not get that through their heads. Like they, you got to make these people seem like they're equals, uh, and and we'll get into that. So right now, where we're at is um, if, um, the Wrestling Observer from August six, two thousand and one, and the headline is. The actual purchase price of World Championship Wrestling from Time Warner was $2.5 million, according to figures released this week by WWFE. Um, in its annual Securities and Exchange Commission filing, deal also included a three-year undisclosed amount contract that the company must purchase a minimum amount of advertising on AOL Time Warner-owned media companies. Um, so, yeah, dude, they bought the damn thing for $2.5 million. $2.5 million. million dollars that is that was the cost of world championship wrestling a company that three years earlier was the highest grossing professional wrestling organization in history right when we got down to it 2.5 million dollars jericho always joked that if he had known it was that cheap he thought he said I could have scrounged I could have scrounged something together and bought it. I don't know <laughs> yeah. if 2001 Chris Jericho scrounged together two million dollars, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he could have. Like that's not that much money. But that's the problem, though. It only was valuable to WWE. Yeah. Right. They were. Oh, that was a sweetheart deal. Stu, like I said, um, Bix and Chris Zelder did this on their Patreon show. You know, 
it was Stu Snyder and I forget who uh, the WCW guy was off the top of my head who made the deal. Uh, not Jamie Kellner, but the other one. They were fraternity buddies, and it was a sweetheart deal. Like it was the only, it was only valuable to WWE. It's a shame. Uh, this this has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but I just I saw this line from the Observer, and it's like Smarmy David is best, so I just threw it in Love here. Love Smarmy Dave. Love Smarmy Dave. <laughs> it's a legendary garbage wrestler at Sushi Onita became the third Japanese pro wrestler elected to the House of Counselors, uh, which is Senate, uh, as a member of the ruling Liberal Democratic Party on July 29th. Uh, I thought that was just a funny line by uh, by him. You the other two are. <laughs> Um, oh God, he just wrestled in a Noah recently. Gosh, what the hell was his name? Because he's still a member of the Senate. Hiroshi oh, Hase. Yeah, Hase. And then who and then Anoki. Anoki. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Anoki. And I knew yeah, I knew Anoki, but Hase was the other one. He actually just wrestled recently on the uh on one of the, the Muda retirement shows. Mm-hmm. Old as hell. Looks okay though. Looks healthy. Yeah, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, still in great shape. Mm-hmm. Um Start and then uh, Dave says starting this week SmackDown there's a big change that everyone was calling both WCW and ECW simply the Alliance so they oh. essentially other th- other than the titles they have just dropped the the lo- the names of WCW and ECW it says which seems to be a transition into that the as a term perhaps after this week when all the bankruptcy proceedings uh, go into high gear um, and then. As the bankruptcy proceedings are going on, um, I just thought this was interesting. The contract details for members of the ECW roster, 1999 per court filing. So um, I, I'm not going to read everybody's name on here, but Bill Alfonso was making 32 grand, uh, Tajiri 52, and then uh, you get you get down you get down into it. Jerry Lynn 104, Tommy Dreamer 130, Sabu 156. Uh, RVD 156, Landstorm 160, and who made the most money in 1999 for ECW? JD, who who would you guess? Mike Awesome. It was actually one Taz. Taz at three hundred thousand oh. uh, dollars. He oh, was getting sense. by ECW. Yeah. Well, how I many he was the champion, right? And well, I think he was the, they, were, they were trying so to keep him from going to WWE. They were. He not only was Taz the champion, but he was the trainer at the House of Hardcore. And yeah. he designed a lot of the merch. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He. Yeah. He was like he was a guy that could do just about anything for them. Now here's the um, real question: Did they get paid? Did every one of those guys get paid? Because there's legendary ECW stories about people cat with the bounce chain Douglas specifically with the bounce checks and stuff like that. Like, but these seem so, like the top guys. The article goes on to state that RVD and Shane Douglas were owed lots of money from those from the 1999 era. I think they were able to bring RVD back a couple of times after, like in 2000. But uh, he he actually he left ECW um, months before they actually went out of business because they just weren't paying him. Yeah, it turns out when you're not paying people, they don't have to work for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, this is just another note. ECW's deal with TNN was to pay the network 150000 for production costs as well as pay TNN a percentage of the company gross revenue from all sources. So that's how they were able to get that TNN deal. So they were paying the network to produce the television, and then they were giving them basically a cut of the business, which there was really no profits um, from ECW because – People uh, got nothing. Yeah. Yeah, he was just kind of, he was just like, yeah, we'll give you like, and it's like a famous wrestling thing to give you, to give, uh, you know, 
20 different people 10% of the business when there is no business. <laughs> well, that's what's great, too, is you go back and read, like, the newsletters of this era. Heyman is constantly working people. Like, oh, yeah, he was like court in the era. Like, yeah, we're talking to these guys. We're talking to that guy. You know, and the, the sick part is guys like Keller and Shear, who are, like, so anti-AEW about everything these days, are were just doing nothing but lapping up everything Paul Heyman was throwing at him in this era. Mm-hmm. Like just everything they it was just like it was like Eddie Gilbert the year the, the decade earlier, right? What oh whatever he says, yes, oh of course. Oh yeah, that's real. Mm-hmm. Like and you look back on it, it's like, oh man, you guys are so stupid. Of course, this is all a bunch of bullshit for a company that couldn't even pay its talent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, it, Shearer specifically was carrying Heyman's water for a long time. Still does, oh, actually. Guys, still does. Yeah. Well, that's and that's the hilarious part about it is like, this is a and like, in 1995, ECW is really good, right? 1996, ECW is still really good. 97, it's all right. 98, 99, ECW, it's not that great. It doesn't hold up very well, but that was my peak fandom because that's when I, I became an ECW fan in 97. Then I stayed on all the way until the very last uh, day. But I, I even knew that in 2000, like you were never getting your advertised matches. Like they, they, a lot of times, like you want to talk about a mystery vortex, ECW was like the originator of the mystery vortex because <laughs> they didn't know what matches were going to come on the pay-per-views until they actually went on the air. Mm-hmm. And I went to, I got to go to ECW heat wave 99. No. Anarchy Rules 99, where Taz's yeah. last show, which was a lot of fun. People booed the shit out of Taz. So, you know, um, it was a wild experience. And there was a sellout that night. But, I mean, they weren't a lot of those in that era. Like, they were struggling, right? ECW yeah. was struggling in the late 90s and early in 2000. Like, it was, but you wouldn't know it talking to some of those newsreaders. No, no. And still talking to some of the talent that were there. They, they're still living off of the fame from when they were in ECW like Tommy Dreamer has been an impact longer than he ever was in ECW but all he ever talks about is the seven years he was in ECW why Mm -hmm. and I get it because he not only did he wrestle there he was like an employee and he was like selling merch and he was booking and he was booking you know he was doing he met his wife and it was like you know the the most important phase of his career was it was certainly wasn't when he was drinking uh that the comb water stuff in wwe <laughs> what do you call that shit that blue comb um, water the no it's the um the it's the hair cleaner right that you clean the combs at the barbershop yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I, can't, I can't remember what the hell that's called but yeah i remember seeing that um uh th- so this was another funny uh antidote and then we're gonna get our anecdote sorry not antidote anecdote just from anecdote. the observer uh, and then I stopped screwing around after this one, but I just like, I got it. I got to tell this. I've never heard this story. So uh, it goes, uh, there was some legit underlying heat during the filming of the dusty Rhodes uh, Ric Flair Turner South special that aired on July 22nd. Rhodes basically considers the WCW classics uh, as his show. And when the idea was given to bring in a full-time antagonist on the show and have it be Flair, who was basically being paid a lot to do a lot of nothing by time Warner, Rhodes was against it, although the special was heavily promoted. The situation got so funny as when Turner South aired a premiere of the special at the ESPN Zone in Atlanta, Flair wasn't even invited. <laughs> Do you remember the the classic the WCW classic show on Turner South? No. Well, I don't think we That's had so Turner fun. South up here, to be honest with you. I had the channel because we had it on um on satellite. It was like on Prime Star or DirecTV or whatever we had back in the day. So I never had I never had a satellite dish. We always had uh we always had cable. We were, I remember my parents had digital cable before most people did. So we yeah. were, I think it was, uh, 
Comcast or AT&T? I forget. But we were on that, but we never know. I never had Turner South. I didn't even know this show existed until we were going over these uh, these old newsletters, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So funny. Um, I, I do think it's hilarious ahead. that in the year 2001, these, still, these two still had such massive egos. Yeah. When the company yeah. that they both both helped contributed contributed helping run directly into the ground <laughs> yeah yeah at different periods of their of their career yeah they mm-hmm. absolutely helped run the run that company to the ground basically because of their large egos correct um we were talking about the success of the invasion pay-per-view what looks to have done a 1.6 buy rate which is about seven hundred and fifty thousand buys which would have been the fourth most purchased pro wrestling pay-per-view in history up to that point a tremendous success for a terrible show yeah because the concept man the concept is great. WC, this is something that when you were a child of the 90s, you would write down on your paper, right, in class when you're bored. Like, what if WWF and WCW fought? What matches would we get? And we got none of those, by the way. Any of those dream matches mm-hmm. you thought of? Nope, nope, nothing like that at all. So, I mean, like, it should have been a huge show. What's amazing is how they ruined it. Yeah, yeah. I And um, the, the next line is uh he's is this so this is from the august 13th uh observer um it said where where we are this week is ratings of raw while dropping slightly as expected he said the, the rocket just come back the previous week have shown great improvement since the induction introduction of wcw and later ecw smackdown has finally showed some improvement um so what they were doing even though they were executing it poorly numbers wise was working we had this big pay-per-view right mm-hmm. um and then the last pay-per-view is an incredible success, and the next one should do well. There is a tremendous opportunity right now to build a foundation for the future. It'll be a damn shame if history isn't learned from it and it doesn't happen. And boy, what ended up happening. Exactly what they've warned about because they weren't planning <laughs> for their future. It's like John yeah. said, John, you said on our, uh, our regular show we just recorded, when you're hot, it's easy to get things over. And this is the last time they were hot. This yeah. was the de- this was like the end of the boom, right? And the boom ended with the culmination, right? I mean, if you were to write a book, like a fiction book, and like it would end with the two big companies coming together for a major show, mm-hmm. right? That's how it should be a storybook ending. And all it did was it destroyed interest in professional mm-hmm. wrestling for the next twenty years. Yeah, it should have been like the what the NFL is, because back in the day you had the NFL and you had the AFL. Right. And then they came together for the Super Bowl. Right. Mm -hmm. They were seen as equals, even though the NFL was quite a bit snobby towards the AFL. They still came together. And then all of a sudden they merged the leagues and everybody was seen on an equal playing field. That's what should have happened here with WCW. But WWE, WWF, whatever they were back then, they just could not get out of their own way because they couldn't get rid of that snobby mentality. They couldn't have the foresight of a Pete Rozelle, who was the NFL commissioner back in the day. They just couldn't figure that out. Vince McMahon's no Pete Rozelle. Let's be let's just be firmly honest. With you. He's not no. like he does no. not have that kind of forethought. Pete Rozelle is one of the greatest sports commissioners ever. The man was forward thinking, understood television in an era where most people didn't understand television. They feared television. And Vince is um, I don't know, man. I mean, he was if you it's funny, you look back on the shows later. A friend of mine just sent me video from something from like it was 2000 or something like that before that. And it's like Vince and his kids were all over the show. Right, mm-hmm. like it was such an ego trip in that era. So I mean, how is you know? It's always, well, Vince is always willing to do what's right for business. That's like bullshit. He's always willing to make himself look great or what he loves yeah. look great. Like 
he never did a war games match until they never did a war games match in WWE till Vince stepped away. Right. Yeah. Cause it wasn't his like, this just him. Like if it's not mine, it's not good. So of course this was never going to work. I was an idiot 21 year old thinking this is going to be the greatest thing for wrestling ever. And then by the end of it, I was almost done. I almost burnt out of my fandom. Yeah. Yeah. So hey, we skip ahead to August 27th, the August 27th observer. And then there were, he's talking about SummerSlam. He said SummerSlam was largely well received and had little controversy afterwards, aside from the analysis of whether the WWF title match or the Rock should have gone on in the main event position. The decision regarding this non issue was since they weren't going to have a clean finish in the WWF title match and the WCW title match would have been a happy ending with The Rock winning. It was put on last. Virtually all the advertising for the show is based around Rock's return to pay-per-view. So they headlined with Rock versus Booker T, where Rock uh, defeated Booker T for the WCW title. Um, and I guess the only bad part is is that right before them, Steve Austin and Kurt Angle had a match of the year performance. <laughs> so uh, I don't. do you remember the, the, the Steve Austin-Kurt Angle match from that year? Because I don't really remember it being that great. Me neither. Um, I remember the feud. See, that's the thing about that era of WWE. It wasn't really about matches. It was about yeah. really more about personalities. Um, I don't I don't remember how good that was, but I think that Dave's right. I think that's the move, right? If you, you go yeah. out and I think putting the WCW title on the rock was a good move because yeah, it legit it legitimized the WCW because of what they weren't it under Booker T, the title had credibility issues because Booker T was not established for that audience, right? if they'd had Booker come in and win matches and break Steve Austin's back instead, like <laughs> it would have been better, but they didn't do that. Right. So putting it on the rock immediately goes, Oh, okay. Now it's like, it legitimizes it to those fans at headline SummerSlam. Right. So mm -hmm. I think that's, I think that's the right call. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I thought it was the right call, and I do remember um, popping big whenever The Rock won the title. Yeah. Um, you're going to say that the lone negative to the show was The Undertaker and Kane versus Diamond Dallas Page and Chris Canyon of uh, the tag team title unification match. It was a one-sided squash match in a cage where the belts themselves seemed to not uh, be secondary, but inconsequential. Um, and you're going to – I put this line in here just for you. Uh, Undertaker, because of his tenure at the top, is something of a company icon, and few will dare say anything negative about him since he's considered a locker room leader. But his lack of selling and put over new talent is turning him into the same type of wolf on the top of the hill that killed WCW. Could have put that on the next 20 years. How many guys yeah. did The Undertaker make? Right? We talked about that with Punk. How many guys? I'll give you Kane. Give me another Kane. guy. Probably Orton. Uh, Orton wasn't as big until he had his Undertaker match. His but, Undertaker match, sure. Yeah. Um, and maybe, maybe, maybe Edge. Uh, Batista already had the Triple H match, so you know. Is. But may, may, you know, Edge was a big one. But yeah, no, you're right. Like, I don't think that he really, like, well, uh, elevated a ton of people. Selfish. Selfish. I I know people like, oh, he's a leader. He was a bully, right? Yeah. He's a bully. Selfish bully. Uh, one of the most overrated performers in wrestling history who got lucky enough to have a gimmick that involved him being essentially Jason Voorhees where he didn't have to sell for anybody. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hell of a gimmick. Him and uh, yep. him and Goldberg had the perfect mm -hmm. gimmicks. Yep. <laughs> just you guys lose. just never lose. <laughs> Those road warrior Hawk. Those are road warriors in the eighties. Of course, if yeah. you're a big dude who just people can't beat up and you have some charisma, you're going to get over. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, it is what it is. Like, I think a dude's overrated. I've never been a fan. Like, 12 year old JD was like, that guy's not that good. 
<laughs> so the rock ends up beating booker t which we already talked about uh mm -hmm. it was noted that for some reason ross mentioned that the wwf was ahead four and two going into this match so he kept reiterating just like the head-to-head -head matchups between wwf and the alliance so wwf was four and two going into the, the match and and then wwf won five to two so like they're they're already just like kill it killing it dead and then we go to the september 10 uh 2001 which just reading that date was kind of eerie because it was published on September 10th. And then like, and then like the next day, the entire world changed. And uh, um, I honestly, after this issue, I just skipped ahead to survivor series because that much happened with the Alliance between those two dates. So um, just bear with me. But on September 10, 2001, um, the head story was the failures of the WCW invasion. Um, after just two months since the invasion started on Jan or July 2nd, in Tacoma, we've learned just how quickly things can go up and down. The sad thing about all this was the biggest fear everyone had was that the history of these mergers wouldn't be learned from. And we'd have another NWA UWF, which JD just got done speaking about, where the newcomers from the old promotion are buried. And ultimately, instead of the purchase uh, of a once hot but faltering group being a positive by adding new characters to the top and building up the promotion versus promotion feud, it ends up strangling the parent group. Uh, WCW needed to be rebuilt, but instead the entire WCW roster is consisted of Steve Austin, who comes across as more WWF heel and the ringleader of a group of incompetence than WCW leader of a powerful force that threatens the existence of the WWF. WCW should have introduced separately with a different idea, identity, taking away the stupidity that plagued them and adding elements, making it first class and injected some use, youth into WWF uh, fans interested in it. But the timing and quickness of the sale didn't allow for it to be done that way. Um, so yeah, so like he had been warning all the way up until this point, everything that he'd been warning about essentially came true. And like, now we have an NWA UWF situation and we're only a couple of months into the actual invasion. No, same thing happened with NWA and UWF. It was the same exact way. Um, that wound up, be, that wound up being more like W like AEW ring of honor in the end than yeah. this was. Cause at least like they still had UWF shows for a little bit. Right. Like, WCW never really got off the ground. And they never let it get off the ground. Right? It was just it was self-sabotaged from the beginning. It's still like it's it's pro wrestling's greatest what if because we eventually got it anyway. I mean, SmackDown was essentially WCW, right? When they split it off. So it just didn't work. I don't know. I just I don't it talking about this disappoints me. I really wish we had John Muse here because he he has this legendary pitch about how they should have ran this invasion angle. And it's based around with, and he he'll tell you that the reason it didn't work is because he centered it on Jericho and they never yeah. would have gone for that. But the pitch itself is absolutely fantastic. And I, I at some point, at some point we're going to get John on the Patreon show, maybe even the main show. And just to talk about this, like it's almost become like this apocryphal, like, I hate to say the term legend because like that, that kind of like is a big term, but it's like, it's like this urban legend, right? Like, Oh yeah, yeah there's a story about this, that, and the other thing. And it's actually way better. And it is because I've read it and John's gone over the beats to me. It's way better than what they did, which is a shame yeah. because they could have done it. Yeah. We really, well, I think that's, that'd be a great overtime topic whenever we can get him on. Um, mm -hmm. We can just do, you know, half an hour with him kind of picking his brain about that. Uh, David goes on to say, the question when it comes to WCW was, did it fail at the end because its style of wrestling was passe? 
Or did it fail at the end because it was such a horrible product? I think that'd be the case. A book so poorly, yep, uh, that it insulted the, its audience by giving them a product they didn't want. Of course. Uh, if, if it was the former, then WWF should have relaunched with a separate identity. But the consensus uh, is it was closer to the latter, which uh, case the separate identity, but with smarter planning would have been the best thing for everyone in the industry. As a group of players, WCW was too weak compared to the WWF. They didn't, for the most part, have depth, and most weren't as accomplished in the ring as the WWF guys. That's why they needed a bigger push. So um, I want to get into this right here. So he makes a great point here um, that, yeah, they weren't as big as stars, but you could have presented them as such. And he and he makes this point here. He says, then again, so was the NWO at first when compared to the vast masses of people in WCW. You had two guys and one jump. Two guys who were stars with the other group, but far from the biggest stars. Look back in your record books and find out how many pay-per-view events Razor Ramon ever headlined. One or two. With the exception of match with Shawn Michaels inside the ring, his match quality of his two years in WWF leading to the jump couldn't touch WDDPs of the previous two years, even if Hall probably had tons more natural ability. Diesel headlined far more, but was also at the gate by far the least successful champion WWF history. Uh, dude, I had never had anybody make that point to me before. You never um, heard because that before? Every, you've I've never, never heard that point? Dude, I've never read. So I didn't start reading The Observer until like 2013. Right. Okay. So I never, this is the first time I'm reading this. So when I was a kid, to me, a kid, Mike, who was doing the Razor's Edge on his little brother, saw Razor Ramon as a huge star. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I saw Diesel as a big star. And I kind of like, although while I was still watching WCW, WCW became my favorite promotion when the NWO took off. So it, it really, it was Eric Bischoff had the foresight. And I'd hate to compliment Bischoff. They're like, hey, look, these aren't the two biggest stars, but if we present them like they're these huge stars, the people are going to buy into it. WWF didn't think that. They're like, we got these stars. They weren't these big stars over there, um, and we're not going to make them look like they're big stars here, even though they're your guys now. It'd be like Dana White signing Fedor and not pushing him as a main event guy because he was the pride champion for a long time. Right. And being jealous of that it's it's or, or, or not, 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 not Fedor, uh, a mid-level guy. It'd be like, so he signed Anderson Silva, right? Anderson Silva was a mid-level pride fighter. He was never a big star there, brought him into the UFC and immediately made him a big star. He became one of the greatest champions they ever had. That's what we're talking about here. Mike, um, let me, let me, let me, let me counter you with this. Yeah. Vince did it with those guys. I want you to remember the Diamond Stud. Scott yeah. Hall could not get a job. Diamond yeah. Dallas Page and him revamped the Scott Hall character. And the Razor Ramon that we think we know is essentially like the beta version is the Diamond Stud. And he actually does help headline one WCW pay-per-view. He's in the, the nasty Halloween Havoc 91 <laughs> disaster. Yeah. But then he leaves, right? He doesn't get a push. Like he's just there. And then he shows up in WWF in fall in the summer of 92. And Mike, he was immediately pushed to the top. He was yeah. with Ric Flair challenging Randy Savage and later Bret Hart for the world title. Do you remember what Razor Ramon's first main event or for, I'm sorry, first pay-per-view was in WWF? Survivor, Ser Survivor, Survivor Series where Series he was 92. teaming with Ric Flair against Savage and perfect. Yeah. Yep. The main event. There was double main event, but it was that's the show main event. And his yeah. second pay-per-view, he's challenging Bret Hart. Royal Rumble 93, he is challenging yeah. Bret Hart 
for the world title. And then he settled after that, he settles into this baby face. He, he's the baby face IC champion. He's essentially the number two or three, depending on the particular month or year, you know, baby face in the promotion for the majority mm-hmm. of his run. Kevin Nash, a different story. He's Vinny fucking Vegas. Among right? other things, but yeah, that's among other left. things. He was, that's probably yeah, was, his most yeah. successful as a uh, relative term, but that's the character that he was when he left. And who is he? He's just a dude hanging out with Diamond Dallas Page again. Mm-hmm. And then he shows up, and I remember this. I'm like, I remember when he showed up on Raw. Michael's like, that's Vinny Vegas. He was just on WCW Pro a week ago, like because they taped way in advance, like. <laughs> yeah. And then he's immediately put with Shawn Michaels, who's like the number ninety three. He's probably the number two heel in the company, right? So these guys were put in a much bigger spot. While they weren't the number one, number two guys in WWF, they went from being nobodies in WCW to players in WWF. So Bischoff just saw what Vince did and took it to another step, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they couldn't make they couldn't make those two dudes stars, which again is great basis for the NWO, right? It's just it's just so the storytelling is so good with that because these guys were losers in WWE. They become somebody in WWF, and now they're just gonna run ramp run rough shot over this promotion that didn't respect them back in the day. Genius, absolutely yeah. works. But the worst part is Vince did it with those two guys. Yeah, yeah. He did and, it. He refused to do it here. And this it was out and out refusal. Yeah, out and out refusal. And the the two top guys that he had were Booker T and uh DDP. Um and he said Booker T is slightly better than DDP. I would slightly is I would say he's a lot better. Um in my, I, I was always a big fan of, I was a big fan of both. I like, I like Booker yeah. too. 2001 yeah. Booker was better than DDP. There was a, there was a time when Diamond Dallas Page was a really good worker. Like you're oh, talking yeah. 97, 98. DDP was good. He had great the, matches. He did. The greatest match of Goldberg's career. Halloween Diamond Havoc, 98 Diamond Dallas Page. Absolutely. He, he like, I remember watching that match and being like, you know what? Like, I think Goldberg could be more than what he is right now. Like, like, I really think that he could be like a big time, long-term main eventer having 25 minute matches. I thought, I thought that when it turns out just Diamond Dallas Page, you know, mapped out the fucking match and then uh, carried him. And, you know, I was a kid, obviously I didn't know better, but. Well, cause he learned from Randy Savage who taught him basically yeah. how to do that sort of thing. Sat him in spring stampede. 90- okay. Think about this. Dave and Brian were kind of going a little bit weird on some of this all in all out stuff. Russell dream about not having the world title main event pay-per-view. Yeah. What was the main event of spring stampede 1997? <laughs> it was uh, Randy Savage and diamond Dallas page in a uh, fall. It was a false count anymore. Or was it a um, no DQ something like that, but it was a big something match, like big match. Yeah. What title was on the line? No, not a, not a goddamn title. Yeah. Correct. Because it was a personal issue and people cared. Right. Yeah. You can headline if, if people care about the storyline, right? So Diamond Dallas Page is a star who headlined multiple pay-per-views, was a multiple-time world champion. But Vince didn't, Vince didn't like him. Yeah. So Diamond Dallas Page comes over, and they shit on him. We talked about it last time. They shit on him from the first time he appeared on the screen and continued to do it. Mm-hmm. It's heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he goes on to say, as much as I hate to say it, the only guy to save the angle... Um, maybe Hogan. Now keep in mind, Hogan's a free agent 
at this point. Mm-hmm. WWE elected not to bring him in because of the previous issues they had with him. Um, so although I'd be open for any suggestion of someone better, he'd have to be kept out of the ring except for maybe a long time down the road for a confrontation with Vince. It's like, you know, I, which ended up happening, by the way. It did. He said, but yeah. And he goes, unfortunately, you put Hogan in the dressing room with Hall and Ash, who may be needed because WWF has already given up on everyone else except for Booker and RVD as possible main eventers. And you were asking for problems. <laughs> That's exactly what they got uh, just a few months later when they actually brought in Hogan, Hall, and Nash. <laughs> so what's funny is like I actually as the invasion's a complete clusterfuck, but from the moment it ends, the invasion starts to actually work. Yeah. Right? Because the very next show, the very next time, which I'm sure we're gonna cover, Ric Flair, right? And then February, yeah. you get the NWO, you get that great No Way Out. What an amazing coincidence that was. Yeah. You get that revamp <laughs> No Way Out graphic with the NWO. Like, dude, it was awesome. And they screwed that up too. They 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 did, but uh, when they turned Hogan babyface, it did get pretty big. But uh, nobody but wanted to boo Hogan the, when he came back to WWF. But they that's true. But they fucked it up from the get go. They did. They did. They like, should have just brought them in as baby faces. They should have. Steve Austin's <laughs> beating the fuck out of all of them right away. It's like, oh, yeah. so our, ba- our hero doesn't have anything to overcome. He yeah. just kidnapped Scott Hall. Like, it just. God, I hate this company's <laughs> booking. I fucking hate it. So Continue. we, uh, uh, yeah, we were, you were foreshadowing a little bit. So we do skip ahead to November 26, 2001. Cause like I said, um, in between September and November, not a much happening during this time. They're actively negotiating with Ric Flair. They end up coming to a deal and, um, and he ends up showing up, but we're going to talk about survivor series first. So survivor series on November 18 from Greensboro, perfect place to debut a Ric Flair is from the, from the North Carolina, uh, ended up being a one match show with storyline that people's hey, jobs Mike? were on the line. Yeah. Hey Mike, where did the first three star kids take place? That'd be Greensboro. Just check it yeah. Yeah. Um, ended up being a one match show with the storyline that people's jobs are on the line. The reality is, for many of the undercard wrestlers, whether they needed to worry or not, there was fear that their jobs really were on the line. And of, and of course, lots of releases happened after all this was over. So, um, feast or so famine, the, TNA fans. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Feast or fired. Feast or fired. Ooh, coming fired. back. Coming Excuse back me. this weekend, by the way. They're actually going to do that again. They're pulling the, bringing the gimmick back for Impact 1000. Are they actually um, going to fire someone this time? Or are they going to be a dick like that and go, you're actually fired? Bye. I I, th- I think they are. And I think it's probably Jeez. just going to be somebody that is just on like those per night deals or somebody that's deals already up. But yeah, the last person they did that to, do you know who it was? I don't remember off the top of my head. It was, it was EC3. Whenever he signed with NXT, they, they did that. And uh, they did the whole game show thing. It was actually pretty funny back in the day. Um, but um, how's, that, how's that guy doing? Yeah, he's the NWA champion, baby. Um, <laughs> yeah, Tyrus, Harley Race, Ric Flair, EC3. Yeah, NWA. Um, so the uh, a pox upon Billy Corgan. Uh, JD, you once asked me if there was ever such a thing as a good eight man tag, and I would say, um, or a multi person tag match. They are rare. They do happen. We saw one at All Out this past Sunday. Um, and this one, Team WWF versus Team Alliance. I rem- I remember this match fondly. I went back and watched it. I love this match. So tons of heat. Like You're just right. an incredible, an incredible fucking match. You're right. This one was good. And so as was the, you always see this floating around Twitter or even Facebook, the SmackDown before it. 
with a mm-hmm. where the locker room empties out and everyone comes out one by one for the fight and there's just the heat is just fucking epic before <laughs> yeah. that people are losing their goddamn minds the whole time yeah mm-hmm. th- this this was it was so over they screwed it up so bad like this never <laughs> should have been as over it should have been over as well as it was because the the creative going into this is just it's just fucking garbage yeah stephanie mcmahon has zero talent creatively zero none yeah um so you got team wwf um, i'm not going to go over the whole survivor series we're just going to go to the main event because this is really where the angle all matters killed. yeah yeah, Team WWF, it's The Rock, Undertaker, Kane, Jericho, and The Big Show beat Team Alliance, RVD, Booker T, Shane McMahon, <laughs> Steve Austin, and Kurt Angle. In a losing promotion, has to fold elimination match in 44 minutes and 56 seconds. Um, uh, I thought this was funny, and it, we need to talk to John Muses about this. Jericho pinned RVD clean. A month ago, Jericho looked buried deep once again while Van Dam was the rising superstar. Now Van Dam is buried deep and Jericho's being pushed as the next guy in the top rung until they give up on him like they always seem to do. <laughs> well. Which is which is why they never bought John's story. Correct. Um <laughs> correct. I, I would love to hear from someone else's why they always like backtracked on Jericho because that dude was over. Yeah. Right. And he was and he was great. Yeah, like he's still he's Chris Jericho. I just, yeah. I mean, it's pol. I mean, we know the answer why it's politics, but I mean, like it just it, they would get hot on him, and then they would be like, ah, here's the Intercontinental Title. Except for this, mm-hmm. like this is uh, what we're about to lean into is pretty big. So, no. yeah, Rock scored the pin over Austin with some help from Angle. With a rock bottom in eight months after WCW died and 10 months after ECW died, their names within WWF were officially taken off life support and allowed to die with no dignity after branding manslaughter. Four and a half stars. <laughs> just... <laughs> and so Dave Meltzer yeah. fucking out with no dignity yeah. whatsoever. Four and a yeah. half stars. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it was a great match, but yeah, the finally, the, the, uh, the feud and the storyline had come to an end after starting earlier in the year. It said the Alliance versus WWF feud was ditched at Survivor Series after being perhaps the biggest disappointment in recent wrestling history where WWF won in a confusing series of events. Chris Jericho first turned on Rock, and when Rock and Steve Austin were the final two wrestlers, but Rock survived. Then Kurt Angle, playing a double agent role, turned on Steve Austin, allowing Rock to win the match and put in storyline form the terms uh, WCW and ECW were to rest, even though the reality is both were put rest earlier this year. Um, so yeah, so there was like a lots of twists and turns. Jericho turned heel. Kurt Angle tried to turn babyface. Um, he ends up like the next night turning heel again. Mm. <laughs> just it was just the 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 era and the time where they just could not shake the Vince Russo stuff. I was saying, I was gonna say, shockingly, Vince Russo did not book this. Although it's <laughs> it's got so many russo elements it's unbelievable yeah um next night vince announced wcw and ecw were dead uh he then publicly fired paul Heyman and before Heyman, uh, before leaving Heyman, went after jim ross and then ross threw a bunch of punches at him i, I loved that this scene was good, and then this as, was good. Was... yeah and then as he was leaving lawler was then announced so lawler was fired earlier in the year before this whole thing uh quit. because he quit because his wife had gotten fired right and then mm-hmm. they got a divorce and then he was he went to XWF, which I think XWF might deserve an overtime podcast one day because I was as I was going through these observers, there's a lot of XWF stuff because they during this time where was Hogan? 
XWF. XWF. Yeah. So there was a lot going on there with XWF, but um, hmm. yeah. Yeah. So I think we, that might be worthy of a deep. I don't know that anybody's ever done a deep dive on XWF, so it might take some well, research. So I'm maybe, game. maybe, yeah, maybe we'll talk about that. Let's, let's, yeah. let's have a conversation. Huh. But uh, uh, Lawler was then brought out as the big, as the new announcer to a big pop. And then uh, later in the show, Vince called out Regal. Do you remember what happened here? Kiss my ass club. Yeah, Regal. I uh, called out Regal. He pulled down his pants, revealing black briefs, and pulled down his briefs from the back, started flexing his butt, and ordered Regal to kiss his ass to save his job, which he did. You know, remember CM, when the story dropped about CM Punk calling him a stooge for... Yeah. I think Punk, he nailed Punk, that one. Punk ain't always wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. As, as it turns out... Um, Regal might actually be the stooge that Punk said he was. <laughs> Sometimes people show you what they are. They're performing. Yeah. It's okay because they're performing. You kissed your boss's ass on national television. It's fine because you were yeah. doing your job and have no pride. Um, right. yeah. There are times in life where you have to choose between money and dignity. Um, some people tend to choose money more often than dignity, and that's mm-hmm. what Regal did here. He chose money, so mm-hmm. but he's had a job for life ever since, so not for life. He had a brief hiatus where Vince got tired of him. Oh, that's right, yeah. Um, evidently, viewers must not have liked it with such a massive turn, a uh, number turning out or tuning out during this uh segment because um, it was stupid. This is what I'm talking about. Vince McMahon's dumb fuck ego, like the whole kiss my ass club, it was never over. Right, nobody ever gave a shit about it. It was Vince McMahon doing masturbatory stuff on television, and then and he gets to do it because it was his company. And dumb folks sit there and go Ooh, every time he comes out. <laughs> God, I hate WWE, like overall, like over the top WWE fans. God, I hate him. Uh, so this is where this is where it all finally comes to a head. The finish of the show saw Vince about to give Angle the WWF title as a reward. Um, for being the double agent, of course, and strip Austin. Then Flair came out to a monster pop again. They this, were in North Carolina. Awesome. This is awesome. I love it. Th- so this, great. This is the best thing that they did in the invasion. And it was after the invasion yep. was over. So, and that's why I wanted to close it here because I felt like this was a happy ending to mm-hmm. the dis- disastrous angle they brought back Flair, who they really should have just paid from the beginning. <laughs> they should have just bought out the contract and brought and bought him brought him in, but they just didn't do it until it was too late. But um, Flair came out to a monster pop and then uh, Austin attacked Angle and then attacked Vince and while Flair stood by. Austin uh, took the belt from Flair's shoulder and he smiled and the two drank beer together as the show went off the air. So he said the signing of Flair in a deal verbally agreed to by Flair and lawyers from Time Warner um, at 7.30 p.m. on uh, November 16th. So if you're paying attention, that was just a couple of days before the pay-per-view, but not officially signed until the lawyers sent the contract to Charlotte Coliseum. So the day of the show. So he didn't sign the contract until the day of the show. Um, pro wrestling, baby. I, yeah, pro wrestling. Uh, he'd been in talks on and off with WWF since the folding of WCW in late March. The holdup had been Flair had a uh, guaranteed contract from Time Warner through February 16, 2003, which would have been you know a long time from then, um, which called for between 500 and 800,000 per year. And since some money was deferred and owed, it was uh, it was a different figure each year. He was asking for WWF to guarantee him the money he'd be earning to, uh, staying home, plus an additional several hundred thousand per year. It is expected that Flair would wrestle McMahon at some point. Perhaps at WrestleMania, it actually happens two months later at Royal Rumble. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Flair got a huge pop and was appearing on television for the first time in nearly eight months in Charlotte. He announced himself to Vince as the co-owner of the company. Uh, so before Vince could actually kill it dead, he had actually purchased the remnants of the alliance 
from Shane and Stephanie. That's the, the story. The consortium they sold to <laughs> was me. Yeah, it's excellent. Stuff. Uh, the yeah. high, the, the entire highlight of everything is is this return of Flair. If they do this in June, I think things are different. Yeah, because Flair could have gotten DDP and Booker T and those guys. He could have gotten them over, right? As he's like, Flair. yeah, and because he, you know was a hell of a manager, hell of a spokesperson. The problem is with him, he always looks like the bigger star, no matter who he's with. But I think Mm -hmm. that he could have elevated a lot of those guys. Um, And all of the WWF roster were all huge flare marks. So like they all would not only would have wanted to work with them, they would have sold for him. The bullshit that Undertaker pulled on DDP, he would not have pulled pulled on on Ric Flair. Nope. Nope, He had one of the best matches that Undertaker ever had was WrestleMania 18 against Flair. I yes, still love that match. No, that's a good um, match because he's in yeah. there with Ric Flair. Yeah. No, 100%. That would Everything is different if Ric Flair is there. Two, because Ric Flair is a former two-time WWF World Champion. Now, granted, there's been a lot of turnover in the audience at that point, but all yeah. you have to do is Jim Rossing, 16-time World Champion, two-time WWE World. I mean, like, the, the interest is accrued. And imagine, imagine if you have Flair leading WCW, and if they mentioned that they were smart, imagine if they were smart and you had Austin leading WWF. Mm-hmm. What well, I mean, we're, we're, yeah, we're, we're, we're having a totally different conversation, right? Everything's we're talking about the most successful storyline in the history of pro wrestling. All you had to do was buy out Ric Flair. He verif- he, he vouches for everything. And if Flair is there, all of a sudden, maybe some guys start changing their mind, mm-hmm. you know? They yeah. just needed that was the problem is they had DDP, but DDP wasn't over to Vince and Flair right. was over Dude, Flair. Vince let Flair walk away. Right. Flair got away with stuff that most guys who just come in didn't get away with because he's Flair. Mm-hmm. Right. Ric Flair is always going to have that extra little bit of something with people because he's Ric Flair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if, if they just bring him in from the beginning, um, I don't know that they get Sting because I think no. Sting was burnt out on pro wrestling at the time. Although he was doing, I think like a year later, he started doing the WWA stuff in, mm-hmm. um, in Australia. Australia. Yeah. He's, so he started doing some of that, but I don't think that he would have wanted to be a full-time wrestler at that point. They sure didn't want Luger. Um, they yeah. clearly didn't want double J. They had already shit canned Buff Bagwell. Um, they end up, they do end up bringing Steiner in. And I think Steiner would have been a very interesting guy to bring in right away too. I, I agree. Think that, um, I think that I know he had the issue with Vince, but I think Vince takes one look at Steiner and the promos and saw money in him right away. And I think that Flair and Steiner together, even though they fucking hated each other, Flair could work with anybody. Mm-hmm. He's not a, ch- he's not a chump. You know, he's not like, like some modern wrestlers that if the, they, they really don't like working with people that they don't like, you know, they just can't seem to get over it, but he, he would have worked with Steiner and would have done business with him. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they could have done something Goldberg on the Goldberg would have been Goldberg the big coup, but the, no, he wouldn't, he was, he was content to stay home. He doesn't love pro mm-hmm. wrestling. He loves right. money, you right. know, nothing wrong with that, but that's yeah. just, that's just Goldberg. Like, but again, if you have a four horsemen, right? I'm just throwing that out there. If you have a four horsemen of Flair, Steiner, Booker T, and DDP, everything's different. And you yeah. bring one guy over from WWF to join them. It could, yeah. it should be, it should have been Jericho or Big Show because they had the WCW connections. 
Yeah. Now everything is different. Everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that's, that's a strong contingent to mm-hmm. go against, you know, Steve Austin, Undertaker, The Rock, Rock. you know, Kurt Angle, those guys, mm-hmm. right? Jericho. That, that was, well, I think Jericho, like you, uh, Jericho coming over to the WCW side. Well, I guess it'd either be Jericho or Big Show. So it's one or the other. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, would have worked. Would have worked just fine. And you could have had, and they, all they needed was someone to like, if you had flair on there, cutting a promo saying, Steve Austin, you were just stunning Steve. When you were here, Undertaker, you were mean Mark. You guys were, you guys were failures in WCW. That's why you had to come here. Like they never allowed WCW to ever be positioned as over them. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's Vince's inferiority complex where God forbid I, everyone sees me as less than. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's so disappointing. And that, yeah, and that's what killed the whole thing. They mm-hmm. they had they had a golden goose and they killed it. Um, and it's one of the more frustrating times in the history of my fandom. Mm-hmm. There was some good content that was mostly bad, but I think that it ended on a pretty nice note with Flair coming back in Charlotte. Um, and then of course a couple months later you get the NWO. Uh, that gets rejected because they get buried right away, and mm-hmm. nobody wanted to boo Hogan. And then you had a little nice babyface Hogan run. Uh, where people kind of got to turn back the clock to 10 years prior to that when they were kids watching Hogan beat up, uh, you know, Sergeant Slaughter and those guys. So he did a little a little nice title run there. But, uh, yeah, man, WCW and uh, ECW uh, officially dead in November of 2001. Um, and a small piece of my childhood died with it. But uh, what, what a time to be alive. And, you know, what? and then like the next year, Wrestle, WrestleMania 18, I thought was a fantastic show terrible main event with jericho and triple h but a fantastic show overall i i, I thought they hit a home run with that show in uh, toronto but uh, one of the best ratings so, ever yeah for sure yeah so it wasn't all bad but uh hey guys uh, thank you for subscribing to the patreon um we are gonna have more content more exclusive content coming your way right here next week on overtime with uh with mike and jd and uh tell us what you like tell us what you don't like please provide suggestions on stuff that you want us to cover right here in overtime uh next week i don't think we have a historical topic just yet so we might we'll take some suggestions from you guys or we might just run with some modern stuff too because it's overtime we do whatever the hell we want in overtime right um so until next week mahalo Music, it's not just part of our daily lives, it's part of our wrestling fandom as well, and it has been for decades. That's where this show comes in, Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling, hosted by Andrew Rich. Hey, that's me. Each episode delivers a different topic with a variety of great guests, fun conversations, musical analysis, and of course, a heartfelt pun or two. New episodes drop every other Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. Check out Music of the Mat only on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network.